0: this episode of the edify studios podcast is brought to you by americlad quality metal crafts quality metal crafts has distinguished themselves as a premier metal fabricator for the architectural construction and industrial markets from day one their commitment has been simple produce the highest quality products at the best possible value with exceptional client service Attention to detail, superior quality, innovation. That's what makes the AmeriClad product line the first choice for your construction requirements. To learn more, visit AmeriClad.com.
1: Welcome to the Edify Studios podcast, discussing the shift of architectural concepts into actual solutions, disrupting the current status quo, and having a blast the whole time. Here are your hosts, Brad Glauser and Brad Walker.
2: Hey guys, welcome back to the Edify Studios podcast. We are super excited today to bring uh, a special guest from Studio 216, um, uh, Mr. Jamie Fleming to the show. Walker. Yeah. Check this guy out, huh?
0: There he is. <laughs> I thought it was all a joke. We uh, we had emailed and, and uh, said, hey, we're a couple of dummies, and we want to do this thing. And he's like, oh,
2: man. I know. It was. And I it was, was like, great.
0: I was- he's, probably, he's probably lying. That's probably not real. I probably... Emailed the wrong guy. Yeah. Wait a minute. Is this his assistant? Did he actually? Yeah. Or is this like. Uh, just some spammer. <laughs> spammer. No, it was real. It was real and it was legit. And, and he not only responded, but he's here.
2: Yeah, he's yeah. here. How you doing, right. Jamie? I'm doing great. Yeah. Well, welcome, you. man. Thanks welcome for to the show. Me. Yeah. yeah. guys, this is incredible. It's kind of fun. It right? is incredible. It is Gosh,
0: incredible. we're so good <laughs> and incredible <laughs> and
2: awesome. No, so what we like to do kind of at the beginning of the show is just kind of just check in, um, see how everybody's do- been doing. It's been a little bit of a wild wave of a month. We just got over 4th of July. Yeah. And that was a good time, right? It was a good time.
0: (laughs) 4th of July was an incredible time. Uh, I had the good fortune of being invited over to the Mr. Glauser's neighborhood, Yes, uh, which is literally uh, one of those uh, blocks, that cul-de-sac that you see in movies. You know, the one that you're like, that can't be a real place. Everybody's happy, and they're smiling, and they're like... Involved with each other in a positive way, <laughs> and I was like, "This is weird. This is like a robotic. What what's happening here? Are They gonna try to sell me like timeshares, or is that what this is? Is this a setup?" And it wasn't. It it wasn't. It was legit, and they had one central house to a certain degree, right. and they everybody wheeled like four or five barbecues from every right. house down uh-huh. there. There were giant speakers, and the music was blazing, and the kids were are just picnic running. tables
2: with potluck. Wow. Food everywhere. They've got the
0: whole thing shut down. It was it was incredible. It was an incredible time. Uh, friends, family, strangers, everybody there just having an incredibly good time.
2: Yeah. So we live right outside like the the fire the no go yes go fire fireworks zone. Right. So we actually can do fireworks oh. at our place. Okay. Uh, which is pretty rad. So we it, like a few years ago we just kind of said yeah let's all get together for a block party. We don't want to go anywhere on Fourth of July. It just takes forever to get back. So. <laughs> And when you go somewhere, it's just like the kids are dead at the end of the night or whatever it was. And so we just said, let's just do our own party here. So it just kind of grew and grew and grew and grew. Well, you you spend like, you know. Three hours to
0: get somewhere, correct? For forty minutes, right? And then another two or three hours just to get the heck out of there.
2: So and walking with blankets Ugh. and blah blah blah. So we everyone
0: a,
1: left with their digits, all all digits. I
2: think time. so.
0: There was a couple. There was that
1: one guy who kind of hobbled off a little bit. <laughs> I think was a he couple, was couple hiding skips. something. Yeah.
0: A couple of skips, maybe a couple, a couple of, of little eyebrows. Yeah, little thumb burns or something yeah. here and there.
2: You know. <laughs> it was funny during it. Like a couple of the moms come up to me like, oh, "Yeah, I think we better reel it in a little bit. It's getting a little. It's <laughs> getting a little dicey. It's <laughs> questionable.
0: A couple. The last couple. All right." I will, you know? what, and you
1: then know, you're, you're on track. You're, yeah. you're right on track. That's when we are right in the sweet <laughs> spot, right in
0: the eye of the storm, as they say.
1: No, absolutely. So no,
2: it's been a good month, man. It's been, uh, we're excited to kind of be back in Seattle. I'm um, back from AIA mm-hmm. kind of doing podcasts here. Um, uh, check in for me, man. I mean, I don't know. It's just, I just kind of been getting through like the end of the month holiday just got done. Um, uh, my sister just, uh, had a baby. We we're going to visit her. Oh, that's right. And, um, uh, and just kind of see the family. So, I'm originally from southwest Utah, and we uh, went down to kind of visit, uh, visit the family a little bit, see how they're doing. And my wife's parents, ironically, retired in the same city that I grew up in, you know. So, it was kind of like this. Uh, so, now we have split families there. So, every time we go, we kind of feel like 50% yeah, over here, 50% right, over right. here. And then yeah. we ended up right, running ourselves ragged, not necessarily having vacation. So, just ping ponging. Yeah, just, just ping ponging. Pong, 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 but it was pong, good. We, you know, so Southwest Utah, higher elevation than lots of, uh, just more of a high desert area. So there's some sand dunes. We got to kind of go oh, kick back nice. in and. Just you know, some side by sides, four wheel, just braff, go through it and stuff. So it was a good time. So
0: jealous. So he's sending pictures of like <laughs> himself, and he's got this big like scarf over his face. That's like oh, yeah. incredible the skull. It's like skull yeah, it's mouth on it, and these these uh, he's just oh so jealous.
2: You should show yeah. some of this on the YouTube. When you I get won't. It. No, you have to. Nothing is gonna be on the screen right <laughs> now. It's gonna be just blank on the screen. No visuals. It's because you're absolutely jealous. I get it. I get it. So jealous. <laughs> So no, I mean that's that's where it's been going. It's been good to come come back and kind of get into the flow again and just k- kick the next uh, round series of podcasts off and get back to some projects. Yeah. What about you, B? How you uh, been?
0: D- it's been incredible. You know, the kids are kids are out of school, which is always yes. like a tough one for me because it's like uh, I want to spend time with them and then I do and then I'm like I should get back to work. <laughs> I love my kids, but sometimes it's just like oh. Come on, exhausting. It's exhausting. It's so much work because I wanted. It's summer, so like I want to go
2: even further and do even more. And there's more daylight outside. There's more daylight. I, there's just more. Right? There's
0: more real estate in the day to a certain degree. And and for there's sure. no. There's no. Oh, we got to get home in time yeah. for bedtime, yeah. and we got to do with this and go to school tomorrow. And it's a sun. No, there's there's just go, <laughs> and then I'm just like exhausted. I'm like I gotta get to
3: work, man.
0: I'm done. I'm cooked. Yeah, older your uh, kids? Our kids are. Uh, I my oldest is twelve and my youngest is nine. Both boys. Yeah, perfect. Both boys. So nine and twelve, wildly aggressive when it comes to just go go grind hustle, uh, which is awesome for for us, but it can it can it can get you. Get you really tired the next day, yeah. <laughs> right. which is a good thing. It's, it's, it's right. all for the good. So I've been, I've been having that, that, that sort of turmoil with that and, and loving it.
2: Well, and there's a couple things that, you know, from a check-in standpoint, you know, I think you, you better kind of reveal the new deck is in. Yes. Right. So we've lived in our
0: current home. We live in Woodenville, <laughs> uh, And we've lived there for the past 12-plus years. Um, and it has had less than a postage stamp size deck on the back. And we have a, a pretty substantial yard. Our yard is pretty good size, and it's just been a travesty and a train wreck. And it's just been that thing that we just didn't ever get to. We we did this and we did this and we did this. We've always done stuff, but we just didn't quite get to the deck. This year we did uh increase the size of it, and uh it's just been magical. Yeah. And watching the kids be part of the whole process because each day there'd be a little bit more done. Oh, yeah. You know, there's just these posts in the in, in the beginning, it looks like. You know, they're going to there's an old dock there or something. (laughs) And then they start to put it every day. My kids would be out there, even if it was just on like a plywood false floor, like just to be out there because you could never be out there before. So I just snap pictures the whole time. And now it's done. And it's it's just unbelievable Uh, Uh, just to have the barbecue out there because my deck was literally so small. It was basically just a way to get outside. You get on the deck and then you go right down the stairs. Service
2: service stairs basically. Exactly. And then I go
0: so so my barbecue was never in a, in a in a comfortable proximity. So you'd go out and you'd have to like get get a wagon of all the stuff you needed to go barbecue and just be a chore.
2: <laughs> and an assembly line to actually like yeah. get out to oh. the barbecue. And, and then to get something. It
0: back and everything. So uh we when we did our first barbecue like two weekends ago, just to, uh, as a family. It was this weird feeling of like I don't have to carry everything. I can leave
2: the salt right there. And just, I know. can just come right back in. Right.
0: Yeah. Super silly, but it was just it was so romantically awesome. <laughs> so it was very good. Having that having that, that piece to the outdoor uh
2: world was just so worth it. That's so good.
0: incredibly yeah. worth it. That sounds great.
2: What about you, my man? Jimmy, any any good check ins? How's things going? How's your yeah. fourth? I mean huh?
1: super. We um I was out for three weeks. Um I had some work in London with Microsoft and then flew to Paris and met my wife and two boys. And then we spent awesome. 12 days and hiked um, 110 miles around the Mont Blanc range and started in France and then we hiked into Italy and then Switzerland. So you want to rewind and France. say, how many miles was that again? And it was 110 miles. We uh, did more 110. vertical ascent and descent than, um, than Mount Everest. So it was incredible. Wow. And I'll tell you what, it kicked my butt. I am by far in in terms of the four family members i'm the i'm the least <laughs> I, I let's put it this way i, I spend more time behind a desk sure. than the other three I sure. so i see that first um that first hike that we did the first day i mean i literally i thought <laughs> There's no i there. can't do this for 11 more days but <laughs> it got easier even though the hike actually got more difficult i think you acclimated and sure scenery is unbelievable can even I, imagine? I think it's the only kind of extended hike that you'll ever do where you actually gain weight because you know, really? you're know stopping in little villages the and there's fresh baked bread and, and oh cheese my God. and oh. pasta. How romantic is and that, dude? And okay. So, <laughs> no. It, it, okay, I'll we, sign we, up. We, we, yeah, we put, ch- it <laughs> put it on your list. Put it on your list. That sounds incredible. So, Buck, F, bucket list? <laughs> bucket list. Out of Mount Blanc region? Is that what you said? Mount Blanc, yep. Mount yeah. Blanc. So, we started in Les Houches, which is a little French village just. South of um, of kind of the big peak of Mont Blanc. Okay, and um, where and in,
2: where in relation is that in France exactly? Like, I'm a location oriented uh, so geography it's in the, guy. It's so, in the so north it's gonna be southern in the region.
1: The north. <laughs> um, this is going to be kind of I th- believe north, east France because you start in France and okay. then you you hike north up into Italy. And then you continue north into Switzerland, and then you drop east and back into France, and come back south. Oh, exactly. So it's all in the so, Alps, um, and you're just it's all in the Alps. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So wow. yeah, it's unbelievable, and it, it, we were early in the season, so there wasn't a ton of other hikers. Was there a lot of snow and stuff like that? Parts were get... in snow Cold where and... we were trekking, but you know they had. I don't know if you've been reading. They um, Europe had this incredible heat wave, oh, yes. did. And so we were hiking. Usually, I think it would be in like the sixties. Maybe it was in the nineties. Oh my gosh! And so hiking up these steep ascents in ninety degree weather, the worst was was the worst. It, it had to carry a lot of water. Oh. I would need like a llama. Yeah, just for the water. A, you need a camel. <laughs> yeah. To yeah, trail behind you oh. to, to nurse off of something. Um, wow, that was so three weeks. It was the hike was twelve days. Okay, so twelve days, yeah, days and magic. I was out about three weeks total. Some day,
2: so. some guys do a twelve day cruise. This guy did hundred and ten miles <laughs> in, <laughs> yeah. in twelve days.
0: But man, the vision that you get to look out, uh, the, just the, just the viewpoints that you must see every day. Yeah, because right. that is some of the most. Unbelievable space, yeah, no, just majestic, majestic, right? Oh. It's got to be.
1: What's cool about it is, um, if you're a goal-oriented person, you know, you can you can see yourself in relation to Mont Blanc as is, is is kind of a reference point. So as you're hiking, you can actually see like, holy crap, you know, we were there we four were, days ago. We were all wow. the way down the other end of that thing. So, yeah, it, it was great. And I, my 16-year-old son would rather be at home or hanging out with his friends sure. and um i think he surprised himself it was he had more fun than he thought and he was by far always the one out in the lead we were trying to keep up with him he was like trotting up the side of the mountain oh as i was crawling on my hands and knees trying to keep up that's great so, <laughs> yeah that he was, was just, it was just like, leading
0: the pack <laughs> Like that sounds tremendous. Like a shirt, like
1: the shir- family Sherpa. Exactly. The Tenzing Norgay exactly. of the trip. You know, I would sneak other th- articles into his backpack to try to laden him with a <laughs> little more weight <laughs> to free up my own backpack. Just little bits of iron and rock. That sounds awesome, yeah, actually. No big deal. Well, my 12 year old <laughs> likes to collect things. And so he was constantly picking up rocks, saying, you know, I, I want to take this one. I need home. This I was one. like, Ben, are you kidding me? We're can- <laughs> we not carrying rocks for 110 miles. Just the,
2: no. just the travesty of, like, I have to actually lug this around. Like for a dad, like I get it. So yeah, I get it. Uh,
0: Yeah, my nine-year-old is the vacation hordesman He's he's the I need this rock from this one place, and it's it's never it's never a pebble. It's right for him. It's always like a pretty good size, and they're always pretty good looking rocks. But I'm just like,
2: no, right? Yeah. So my thirteen-year-old is. He's the same thing of like, okay, this is a cool shell. I'm like, dude. We're in Mulcatillo on a beach, buddy. We can actually come here anytime. okay? Yeah, right. Just leave it here. That stays like, there. Like, no. That stays there. <laughs> anyway, right. sorry. Incredible.
0: Incredible. Well, what we'd like to do is we would like to go in the Wayback Machine. We'd like to start this thing uh, as far back as you'll let us go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, to the birth canal. To the birth canal. <laughs> to just before that. Uh, now, let's go a little forward to that. Um, and correct me if i'm wrong you grew up not far from where we are existing now but in a much larger state billings in the in the state of montana
1: yeah um so i was actually born in lander wyoming oh. and i even even in bigger in, sky country yeah, even yeah, bigger right. sky so i lived in lander until i um moved my sophomore year of high school to billings and then okay. I finished my uh, high school there and then so the uh, land of antelope yes yeah so i i um, to the yeah, I'll of probably <laughs> uh, all your sponsors will flee after I say this, but I'm I'm not a big fan of trees, and so I'm always telling people, you know, like, why can't, why can't we cut down some w- of these trees here? I, I know I'm uh, living in the wrong <laughs> state for a person who doesn't love this trees. episode. Brought to you by Dunder Mifflin <laughs> Paper Company. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So I'm always, um, I think I'm always. Uh, all my neighbors are distraught because I'm always saying, "Why can't we just cut down all these trees so we can see something?" No, but yeah, I do right? like <laughs> these, uh, you know, big vistas, and I like to be able to see the horizon for orientation. Sometimes it's a little suffocating here. Yeah, yeah, so. no,
2: same with me. I felt the same way. Like when I moved here ten years ago, it was just like this, I felt like this four walls of trees and then this like ceiling of clouds yeah. that existed on me. So right. I, I grew up in Southwest Utah where it's just high desert, you can see forever, you know, like, oh, just, in the stars every single night, and that's what it was where I got to know where Orion is, and the southern sky sky would rotate around and get it, like, that's just what I grew up with, and then to move here, it's like, come here, it's like, you get to see the stars, I literally, the other night, go out in my back patio, and I was like, just gonna, just have a beer, just kind of relax for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, I am like, I look up. I'm like, oh, the stars are. Here. I'm not turning that patio light on. <laughs> I'm sitting here in, in, on, my, <laughs> on my exterior patio, just going to go, oh, just going to enjoy for a little bit. You know what I mean?
3: Right, right. It's those
2: rare nights in Washington. That's for sure. Right.
0: It is random. Right. That I, I met a guy from Bozeman, Montana, oh, yeah. like two or three years ago. We're probably he, related. He, that's the same yeah, same last name. <laughs> yeah. But he was saying something very similar. And I think that's, that's actually interesting. He said, we've basically got the same number of trees where i come from they're just not in the effing way (laughs) because because we keep them you know consistently in a a flatter orientation right so i don't the trees are great i don't mind the trees it's just these stupid hillsides
3: and these rolling (laughs) this that's all it's like they're screwing
0: everything up i can i can only see this way four feet and that way eight feet that's true same number of trees they are just not in the effing way
2: That's pretty funny. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs>
0: great. So, Billings, you're 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 finishing up high school. Yep. Um, having an incredible time, as we all did, and probably oh, yeah. did in high absolutely. school. Yeah, except absolutely. Except for Glauser, who actually legitimately loved high school. I did. I actually <laughs> I
2: was the only one, only individual that probably did as yeah, yeah. loved it as much. I just got done with my 20 year union. Oh, that's where I also great. was there, and so I actually organized the thing. Oh. So, so it yeah, he's really one of those guys. Hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's takes <laughs> takes, a, takes a takes a village. It takes yeah, a village. Absolutely,
0: <laughs> he is a village of one. Yeah, a village uh, of one. Uh, so, uh, in Billings, from Billings, you decide uh, after high school which direction you're going to go.
1: So, from Billings, I, so I have two older sisters. Okay. okay. And my oldest sister went to university at Wake Forest University, and um, you know she didn't love it and she thought you know this culture is just it's a, this little it's very different obviously than growing up in the west to be in the southeast sure. culture and so i said oh you don't you don't like it you're struggling why don't i try that i maybe i'll i'll i'll, I'll take a shot at that so <laughs> i um I anything followed you can her. do i can do better <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so i also ended up going to wake forest university in north carolina awesome. and studied business okay um and uh, and that's where i met my my current spouse. <laughs> um, is, is she hopefully from? And Ollie. <laughs> she's <laughs> she's from there well i don't know when we're going
0: to air this episode but yeah, yeah hopefully right currently. right, right. <laughs> hopefully yeah we'll see i don't know i don't we'll see when we that. get to the end of this
1: conversation we'll see <laughs> if we're still on something there she, no she's, she's from native the- from atlanta and okay. um so horrified her parents because she said how how did you choose the only there was only one person there from montana, <laughs> montana or wyoming like how yeah. why did you marry that guy <laughs> So they weren't super happy uh, that you know we moved, we relocated on the west coast because sure. her whole family is in Atlanta still oh. to this day. So oh. I think she's made peace with it, but uh, it, t- it took it took a while.
2: Atlanta is kind of that homegrown city where the people just kind of stay there too, right? I mean, it seems like it. A lot yeah. of well, they
0: lo- moved to Stone Mountain, yeah, oh. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or Marietta, to, or depending
2: on the laser
1: show, yeah, right, right. Oh, there it is exactly. for sure. So finish, so you Wake Forest, you, you you meet a lady, yep. Yeah. So we um, we actually met in Venice, Italy. We were both studying abroad in Venice and a great place to, you know, if you can't fall in love with someone in Venice, then you, you, you start over. Something's off something's, yeah. off. something's <laughs> not going to work there. So, no, it, we, we Sounds started incredible. dating in Venice and then we, um, we she went to a seminary at Princeton. And so we got married a couple years out of um, college. We both lived and studied in the, or lived in the Czech Republic after graduating from, uh, university, okay, and I it was right after the Velvet Revolution, and oh, wow. um, okay. it was Prague. We lived in Prague, and um, you know, it was a it was a great time to be there because you could eat for like seventy five cents. Sure. And you could spend uh, people would come and get you at the train station. You could you could sleep on their couch for a couple bucks a night. So we ended up—we um, weren't married at that time, but we went over with a group, and we all lived in the Czech Republic. She taught English, and I did a variety of jobs kind of exploring— um, Just you know, a it was nomad a type of experience? Nomad uh, kind of experience of seeing I was really interested, having just gotten a business degree of, yeah. you know, what kind of business can I do here? And so ended up cobbling together a bunch of different things to, to live there. And um, so, yeah, so we ended up— um, that eventually took us to Princeton, New Jersey, where Nicole went to graduate school. And then um, when she graduated, we moved to Seattle so I could go to University of Washington to study architecture.
0: So no schooling between the two of you <laughs> at all. <laughs> just right. street just smarts, yeah, and exactly. that's it. <laughs> no, that, that didn't drive any of their any of their relationships. <laughs> <laughs> we went, and, and so far, you've just basically globetrotted... To learn at these amazing institutions. Yeah. And some yeah. of the most incredible ways. That's yeah. fascinating to understand that, that you're sort and, and so clearly in some way supporting each other in those in those elements. Yeah. And so yeah. now Absolutely. you're in now you're in Seattle, you're University of Washington for architecture.
1: Right. Right. So I got a master's of architecture. I I had the, the So what what decided
2: you to go into architecture from business? Like this uh, is that's good. You yeah. know, it's kind of an interesting. I guess bridge that you have to build there in order to get that, but I, am you know, curious. It's a left yeah. turn. It's a
1: left turn. It is a left turn. I think. Um, let's see if I can thread <laughs> thread some, no, th- some points together Enlighten. here. So, um, there were there. Uh, I was very interested in the arts when I was at sure. university. But being a business major, there were so many requirements that you had to take in school sure. that it didn't leave a lot of other uh, removed you electives. from
2: participating there. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Okay. And so I did have these outlets. I got the opportunity to study in Venice, and we had a... Yeah, you know, I was just going to say,
2: there's so much of the art and history and culture that you're going to receive between Venice and Prague. And, yeah,
1: exactly. Right? It, I mean... We had this incredible fortune of having a psychology professor take us over as the, as the proctor to venice and wow. she really believed and she she was very interested in cross-cultural psychology and so she set up our whole curriculum where we would have three-day weekends every weekend and so we basically spent the entire semester traveling all over europe with these three-day weekends which is something i mean when else in your life are you Holy ever mackerel. you know have part and of how long were education? you there hopefully and, soon for me yeah, hopefully We soon. were there, I think, I guess we were there about four, four and a half months or so. That's uh, a good amount of time. That like great. a full semester of, okay. of schooling. And, um, and I think that's where I kind of got bitten, you know, with this travel bug and just realized, like, oh, my gosh, you can be in Paris one weekend and then you can be in Denmark yeah. the next weekend. Just take weekend, the overnight train, the right? Weekend. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, um, so, but your question, I think, was how did I jump from yeah. business to architecture I think it it was rooted in I, I've always loved to build and construct things. So okay. I've always been involved. My dad had a wood shop growing up, and we lived on a little farm in Lander, Wyoming, and had a barn with a wood shop. And so, I was either playing in my sandbox or I was in the just an in application wood with
2: your hands and, and working yeah. Under it. And I, I, awesome.
1: I as I mentioned earlier about hiking Mont Blanc, I, I think I. I um, being a, a pretty goal-oriented person, it's always been satisfying to you know have a vision and then see the completion of the fruition of that vision. And so, building was a great kind of manifestation of that. If you could start with an idea, you could sketch some things out, you could try it, you build it, and you have something that you can look at and play with in your hands, and and you know decide if you like it or not, or do it again. Right. So, yeah. Um, So I I was always kind of enamored of building, and I had an opportunity. I mentioned when I... uh, After living in the Czech Republic, my parents had... um, uh, My dad is a physician and had a a kind of a unique schedule where he would work intensely for 10 days on and then take 10 days off. And so he was on this constant rotation of working 10 days and 10 days off. And he got into... Got this notion. He's always kind of had wild uh, hobbies and passions, and he got the... uh, Interested in farming and uh, bought a sheep farm in Wyoming and raised a thousand sheep on a, uh, over twelve thousand acres. Wow! And this just a little farm. You started with a little, a little farm earlier. I guess, I guess my but,
0: question would be: Is a, is a, I don't I I am not
1: I am not a sheep farmer. Yeah.
0: Nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> is a thousand uh, small? Is it mid
1: range? well is it,
0: is it a, a thousand or twelve thousand a, sheep? It's on a, a, a band.
1: I called it band of sheep. Um. I mean, there are certainly operations that have tens of thousands of sheep, but that's a fairly sizable sheep operation for you know Montana, Wyoming, for for the U.S. Um, because these ewes are a thousand ewes, and then they have you know you're hoping they they'll twin, and so you suddenly have three thousand sheep where you started with a thousand. You now have three thousand that you're that you're raising.
3: Just um, like that,
1: but yeah. as, okay. as wow. part of that, there were lots of opportunities to build things on this ranch. Oh, sure, and outfit so, everything,
2: the fencing, the you fencing,
1: know. and I ended up building a log cabin um, as a hmm. place to live when <laughs> I was on living there on the ranch after coming back from graduating from college. Everybody goes through that period of, you yeah. know, what do I do after I've graduated? Sure. I had the opportunity to to build a log cabin and. That led to another opportunity uh, when Nicole and I were engaged. I moved to North Carolina and got a job with an architect. Um, okay. His name is Tony Eck and ran the firm Lord Eck & Sargent. Tony had a neat piece of property up in Highlands, North Carolina, and I somehow convinced him—I'm talking about fake it till you make <laughs> it— I somehow convinced him and said, hey, you know, you— you want to build this timber frame pavilion? L- look at this log cabin I just built. Why? I'll build this thing for you. And he in, said, in North Carolina. In North Carolina, he said, "Yeah, okay, oh, that sounds good." So, um, that I, sounds I, good. I recruited one of my really good friends, Chris Wolfe, um, who was studying public health there. And we went and lived up in Highlands, North Carolina, and built this timber frame pavilion not having really ever built anything other than a log cabin before sure. and you know, oh, figuring man. out how timber frame works and there's a lot of really beautiful timber frame happening in that area of the world. So I got some more exposure to actually building real structures and objects and wow. and you know going through the day to day of how how are we going to raise this roof beam up here that weighs, you know, a thousand pounds the rigging and, yeah. and the how are we methods rig this up? and it yeah. so it's um it was fun to kind of figure out some of these ideas and, you know, doing reading of how, how was this done in the past. And we were just kind of out there in the wild without really any utilities putting together this timber frame <laughs> pavilion. So super fun. Um, so when I got married and we were living in Princeton, um, I had the good fortune of getting a job working for Michael Graves, who was teaching at Princeton. And he needed, um, I didn't have any architecture training other than I'd done this building before. Okay. And um, he had an opening in his model shop to, to oh. build models. Oh, and he, he had just gotten this contract with um, Target to create this whole line of products. I don't yeah. know if you remember oh, yeah. the toaster and, the, and all these different things at Michael Graves, the tea kettles and different things. So um, he needed all of these things modeled and um, there was the guy that ran his model shop, his name was Don Menke, kind of took me under his wing and um, helped me learn kind of on an industrial level how, how you, you turn these industrial designs into physical objects. And so we were working with Wren shape and, and open and dense uh, foam and doing all different kinds of things on lathes and, and sculpting and building all these different objects. So. It was super, super fun. Um, I got exposed to both the architecture side and the context of working in an architecture firm, but also got exposed to all this industrial design at the same time. Wow. so that was a great job and kind of sustained me put food on the table while sure. my wife was in graduate school and and you know through this whole thing I was just kind of a, a little bit searching you know what do I want to do for a career? what am I right. going to do? And I thought, well, Architecture seems to be an interesting way that I could stay involved in the building side of things, but then, you know, also get to enjoy the design. And I I just I loved this whole. You know, I really like the idea of that. Potentially, this is how I could thread all these things together. So, that's um, incredible. I ended up applying uh, to a bunch of different graduate schools, and um, I, I, I was—we narrowly, we were actually on the road to go to SCIARC in Los Angeles, and then I uh, changed my mind at the last minute, and I ended up <laughs> choosing UW for graduate school. Um, and then we ended up staying out here after. And the die was cast. Yeah, the die yeah, was right. cast. The yeah. die was cast. But already at that point,
0: at that point, you were creating
2: artificial reality.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because we were making like a simulation. It's true. Of, you, were, you guys yeah. were making? Wait a minute. Are right, you talking right. about
2: the timber thing that he built in North no, Carolina? No, talking all... I hope not. I hope not. The guy comes out and it's like one
0: eighth scale model. All right, well, here it is. One eighth scale. Ta-da! Uh, no, no. But right, right. at that point, at that building the models and and creating those those. Sort of faked out versions of it. That's yeah. an artificial reality of here's what it's going to look like in concept. Yeah, no, that's so you were concept, concept modeling, modeling.
1: Hadn't thought about that. Way ahead right. of it. No, you're one, you're 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 two steps deeper into my psyche than I was realizing. <laughs> that's the point. Yeah, let's <laughs> welcome go to Edify Studio. Right. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, so,
0: so that is, I mean, so you're you're seeing the creativity side of it. You're seeing the artificial pieces of it, and and a lot of a lot of architecture is is that. Having the vision, so you're not you're seeing pictures in your head, and then you push it onto paper yeah. and you push it out. Right. Um, I think what Glauser got caught on in the beginning was the uh, the way we see a lot of the architects that we've talked to come about it is not business school first. Right. Yeah. That's that's and that's, yeah, that's,
2: that's, that's design architecture, and then, yeah. then you are right. like, oh, I got to actually have a business right. here and make money to this thing. You know. And, and
0: most of them don't admit it till later, but they're like, I just want to figure out how to get paid to draw things. Right. So they're <laughs> yeah. like. I need to figure out business school after I figure out this piece, because right. I just want to, I just want to get paid from my drawings. Yeah. Right. So, so now you're back in Seattle, uh, you're, you're UW, you're in architecture, uh, you're, you're finishing up your schooling for architecture here at UW? hmm Okay.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, a couple other fortuitous or maybe not fortuitous things happened to me. I, uh, my Those are the best year stories. My yeah. first after uh, graduate school, you know, all my cohorts went out and got jobs in architecture offices. And I think I was struggling a bit of just, you know— like trying to understand, like, is this exactly yeah, what can, I want to be the doing? Conversion is the conversion right, process, right? Am I right? in the right place? Yeah. Am I doing yeah. the right thing? And um, so, as I had mentioned, I, you know, I've always been super interested in living overseas and traveling overseas and traveling. Um, and I'll thread this piece in, and it make more sense yeah, in a second. Absolutely. But no. I was, I. Um, I was going around looking at different job openings after that first year of graduate school, and I saw that there were some openings to, um, uh, in some furniture, a furniture design place in Soto in Seattle. So I went in and I talked to this guy— so this, w- um, this wood ban-
2: shop thing couldn't get out of you.
1: <laughs> right, it? right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went in and I said, hey, listen, you know, I'm in graduate school. I've got some experience designing and building things. Do you need anybody to design furniture for you? And he said, well, you know, actually we're, you know, it might be um, something that I'd be interested in, but we we kind of have a unique situation here. We have a factory in Vietnam where we manufacture all of our furniture here we're just kind of a warehouse and distribution and, and retail location. Yeah, and, yeah. and he said, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I do. I am looking for a designer, but you know, I really need somebody in Vietnam. And I said, well, hey, I've got you know three and a half months open but before school starts again. I'd be happy to go to Vietnam and and design furniture. And he said, all right, let's let's try that. So. Um, he ended up flying me to Ho Chi Minh, and I had the opportunity to, to work right in the factory designing furniture and prototyping it uh, in what? this little factory in Vietnam. And, it, you know, <laughs> it was incredible. OSHA would be horrified because oh. these machines, were they would take <laughs> like a— <laughs> I told him this the other
0: day. Keep going. I want to go back to that in a second.
1: They they'd take like a, a car engine or something you know and hook up a a, a belt to it and run a, a you, saw. You did tell me this the other day. You did tell me this the other day. It was all of it was just it was it was crazy and the noise in there was just unbelievable. Yeah, but how but, like
2: how how used to you how used
1: to you how
2: were sorry if I can speak actually You can't. It's I mean, fine. developing like getting actually, um, a Wyoming Montana wood shop. Kind of like, well, how do I get this done? You know, to get this fence yeah. completed, oh, right. like I got to kind of MacGyver this thing together. Oh, no, these guys are so, so unbelievable. So you I walk mean, into this MacGyver, like this is like the culture of just like, well, what turns something? Uh, oh, all right. Well, that car engine does. Exactly. Those wheels don't work anymore. Bring the car engine in. Let's uh, actually hook a belt uh, no, up to this. These guys
1: <laughs> were brilliant. I mean, they would build, they'd whip up a machine in front of your eyes if you had a special thing that you wanted to do. They'd, oh yeah, we could do that. And they just tear apart tape one tape machine and, and they oh, put 100%. something together. Yeah, no, it's, it's super, super thrifty, and um, but it, it worked. Oh, it totally worked. It worked, it totally right? It worked. And, uh, you OSHA know,
0: would OSHA would vomit <laughs> yeah, <they> would <laughs> everywhere. Die. Yeah, we took, no one died while no I was he, there. I don't exactly. even think anyone lost any fingers. Probably That's, the
1: fireworks were
0: more uh, dangerous. A hundred percent. The mo- the uh, mothers at the fireworks exactly, were, were more dangerous. Exactly. <laughs> we, we walked through a facility uh, not that long ago, mm-hmm. and I said, "There's parts of this that remind me of." Uh, when I used to be in the fastener business, and I would go to China to tour these factories that are producing nails oh, and yeah. staples and screws, right. and and it's literally just hot metal flying as <laughs> fast as you can, and they're wearing like t-shirts if they have a shirt on at all, yeah, right. and shorts and flip flops, and like a, they got it's fifty stories tall yeah. that they're, they're doing this, and it's all bamboo scaffolding that they've made that morning, right. and they're right. just sort of tucked together. It's terrifying for us at a hundred percent and everybody gets it and it just it works there. Yeah. It just it works Absolutely. nobody gets hurt. It's so true. Everything's fine. Absolutely. But they would
2: it just So you have a bleed. conversation with this con- furniture guy he's like, "Yeah, I need a designer, but I need him in Vietnam." Well, I'll go to Vietnam. Okay, I'm going to Vietnam. So, what was that conversation like when you back to your wife and be like, "Hey, <laughs> yeah, we're gonna go no, back to Vietnam for three and a half months uh, during the summer."
1: Right. No, it was great because I uh, I can remember coming home. We had a tiny little apartment in, in Capitol Hill, and I can remember coming home and, and sitting down saying, "You know, you won't you won't believe what just happened today." <laughs> and I, I replayed the whole after story after lunch. For her. I went over to <laughs> the had, guy. yeah right. And Nicole had. Um, a, we had a really unique situation. She's always had some golden star following her around, I think. But um, she, Nicole ended up coming over with me and working in an oh, orphanage wow. when I was there. And her work, she worked for an adoption um, agency, and they said, "Yeah, take this sounds incredible. Take take this time off and go go do this thing." So. Um, she was able to take a leave of absence from her work and go oh over, and, and we ended up doing that two summers in a row, um, going to Vietnam and and co-work for this Christina Noble Foundation that supports um, street children and mm. and runs an orphanage. And I was doing the first She is a golden star. Yeah. She's yeah. your own golden star. <laughs> right. What an incredible right.
0: opportunity for the both of you. And and yeah. not only that, but I don't think that there's a there's there's not a tremendous amount of people out there one that would step up and go. I'll go to Vietnam and do it. And then second for the other side of the, the that, spouse, the, the spouse or, the, yeah. or the significant other to go, you know what? I'll go with you and I'll find something
1: Oh deep. yeah, right. so
0: like catered in and then like to make it such a powerful <laughs> trip for the both of you. Right. Unbelievable. No, that,
1: that, it Really? That's, that's pretty bad. That's that is. That's true. We've been super fortunate that, um, she's been also super open and, um, she will. She'll. She'll make opportunities for herself anywhere she yeah. goes. And so, yeah, that ended up being a, a pretty profound experience for both of us I to live in, in Vietnam those summers. And uh, just kind of a funny, quick story here. Yeah, the, the second summer when I was in Vietnam, um, uh, the this guy that ran the factory, his name is Mister Que. He said, hey, "You know, Jamie, I, we've got a very important guest coming today. Um, you know, you, you you look busy or something." I don't <laughs> remember what he said, but. <laughs> Uh, this guy is this like uh, the Mr. Miyagi the or be yeah, right? Be working, be working. So uh, apparently, the our factory had had a um, a newspaper article published in the Tokyo Times, and it was read by one of these Iron Chef guys. Um, like and Mamoru this guy, oh, that's exactly uh, what I was yeah, of. his uh, his last name was Watanabe. Um, he mm. came and uh, to the factory. He was opening a Vietnamese-themed restaurant in Tokyo called Vietnam Alice, and so he flew with his whole entourage to our factory, and was walking around the factory floor looking at these various designs that I'd created, and um, uh, and ended up buying a bunch of this furniture and saying, "Hey, you know, I need certain pieces for these different different parts of the restaurant." So I got to design these various pieces, pieces for oh. custom pieces for the restaurant. And then uh, a year later went and saw this in, in Vietnam, Alice in Tokyo is it was, it was unbelievable. It was a really kind of surreal experience for to, sure um, to, to, Vietnam Alice. to be part yeah. of it,
0: to see it, and then to see it, right, actual in. See it
1: actually in the restaurant in situ is pretty, uh, it was pretty interesting. So this was, I guess this was around 98, 99. Um, when we were in Vietnam, um, so kind of fast-forwarding, you know, spitting out of graduate school, where you spend your whole time kind of in your head designing things. I ended up doing my graduate thesis uh, in, a, in a little village in Kenya, um, designing a healthcare facility, and I had an opportunity to, to study in Denmark, furniture design. I did lots of design kind of oriented things in school. Well, I got... My first job out of graduate school, and I, I'll withhold the name of the firm. People will probably out f- <laughs> me anyways, but and nothing wrong with the firm. It's a sure. great firm. But, um, but my point being, I was put in a retail studio, okay. and I was designing Pottery Barns. And to go from graduate school to this, you know, milieu where you're just, you're, you're the you're sky's the, the limit. Your, cr- your, you're, you know, your creative juices Absolutely. are flowing. To be space planning pottery barns. Like, I literally thought I'd died and gotten to hell. I said, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't know how I can do this. this I, 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 no bueno. I, so uh, my graduate thesis advisor um, was at NBBJ, and okay. he was part of the healthcare studio, and he ended up bringing me, said, you know, Jamie, why don't you come in to the healthcare studio? We're doing some interesting stuff. Your your graduate thesis work was on healthcare. You're interested in that sort of thing. Why don't you come be part of our studio? So. I got a job at NBBJ, and um, what, what I think really had served me well at my time designing this pottery barns is I was using a new program, new then, uh, program that uh, called MicroStation, a Bentley product. Okay. I think they're still around. Um, but it was right at the beginning of when people were talking about BIM and building information models Interesting. and designing three-dimensionally so that you could understand how these bits and pieces came together as you're building out this 3D environment. And that, um, that ended up serving me super well at NBBJ because I'm fresh out of graduate school. You know, You don't graduate having a lot of tangible skills. Right. And I was um, the, the, the partner who led the studio, and my direct boss, a guy named Jerry Yin. He is a Shanghainese man, um, brilliant brilliant guy that could sketch in perspective upside down like he'd put the paper in and he'd sketch oh upside gosh. down so it was I over love oriented guys. such an I've incredible had unbelievable all, all the occlusions were you know he would just know that they were there so there was never any erasing or lines crossing for occlusion I mean it was I don't know how he did it but it's magical you it, know I've, I've, I've had
2: a couple of guys that in my oh. career just basically like, well it looks like this and I'm like are you drawing it for me? Or are you drawing <laughs> right. are you gonna switch the yeah,
0: paper? He's right. like, No, no, just no, let it develop. Right. Yeah, exactly. They draw it better upside down than I could do. Oh, it yeah, right Absolutely. Oh, that was no, amazing. It's crazy.
1: Unbelievable. But this guy, uh, you know, one thing that he didn't do was a lot of computer stuff. And so he he, sure. he would come up with kind of some rough <laughs> designs and right. he'd say, Hey, you put this into put this into BIM, make, create this thing three dimensionally, and then spit out renderings and other things so we can look at it and we can also communicate to wow. Um, you know, our clients what we're doing. And so that's really where I got this exposure to this world of BIM and, you know, representation and and how do we tell a story about this building and how do we convey the essence of this design so that we can explain to others what we're trying to do. And it, it was very, very fortunate that a lot of my cohort who were also at NBBJ at the time, they were spending their time redlining and doing things that I, I just would have slit my wrists if I had you to about do it. Di- You about did. And I, I almost did, <laughs> right, right? Right, almost. <laughs> and, and I was able to play around on the design side because I had this specific skill set of being able to create these 3D models. At the time, not a lot of people were able to do that. So it's probably a super, super long uh, circuitous route to say no, kind of how... this is perfect. Uh, uh, these were really laying the seeds of for me, of what I would eventually you know, do in starting Studio 216. There's one more kind of piece to the story of how things come together. Um, Nicole and I, again, always looking for opportunities. How could we live overseas? How can we work overseas? Jerry, being from Shanghai, he said, hey, listen, I have an opportunity for you. <laughs> oh, You're really interested this is crazy. in, in I love Shanghai. This. Uh, my classmate um, that I went to, school within China right. is looking for a designer why don't you come over and in Shanghai we've got a huge competition that we're working on massive building project why don't you come over and and work as a designer for a period of time and see if you like if well, you isn't can isn't there an MBBJ office in Shanghai so this was prior maybe to there that were, maybe office there, yeah maybe there they is now, right? there is now Jerry Jerry was the one that set up the office oh, for he that was, in oh. Shanghai yeah. look at you foreshadowing yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. spoiler yeah. alert <laughs> he was the <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> guy. Yeah. right foreshadowing and then spoiler <laughs> alert guy over here so I ended up. Um, Nicole, again, t- took a leave of absence, and um, we moved to Shanghai. Because she can. Because she she's can. a golden star. All right, exactly. Because she just says,
2: yeah, I want to do this, and
1: they're like, okay. Uh, yeah, you know? exactly. Tell can I meet Nicole? <laughs> <back>. <laughs> <laughs> she's <laughs> the one you should have on here. She's, uh, yeah, all right. but um, She's awesome. She's, so as a, as a part of this design competition, we ended up using a local rendering uh, guy in Shanghai, and his, uh, this guy, Zhao Fan is his name, um, had his own visualization company and he didn't really speak a whole lot of English. But Jerry and I would go over to Zhao's office and Jerry would talk to him in Mandarin and do his famous sketches. And Zhao would kind of build things, you know, in front of us and create these visualizations and um, he had a whole team of people there doing that, and so it kind of just lodged in my head. Of, from a rendering you know, standpoint, from a rendering standpoint, you know, we were paying three, four thousand dollars for each rendering it was, when I was working at NBBJ, right. and I was seeing this guy cranking out renderings, and and and. Um, so that kind of made a, uh, an impression on me when I was there of like, oh my gosh, these guys are super. this is where the business. This is where, comes where the business together. comes back in. Yes, I like that. Sure. Uh, yeah. Of seeing these in, incredibly skilled people sure. who were just focused on this, you know, singular sure. activity
0: opportunity.
1: And um, I, I know this gets weird, and it, but we'll, uh, I'll just uh, I'll give you the Clitz notes of this. I from this, I had I think a three month. Period where I'd signed up to do this competition in Shanghai, and then I was going to Rome with the University of Washington. I I, I had found a way to um, do a teaching gig over there with the UW to bring students over to the house in um, in Rome. Interesting in Campo dei Fiori. So, um, so I had this little window of time after living in China. I was now living in Rome leading this graduate program um for architecture um with Trina Dinas and um Galen Mina and um it was kind of out of it, at this period of time when I was in Rome o- away from doing the day-to-day architecture that I made this connection of gosh I could start a company where I could offer these services yeah. and You know, not have to do the drudgery of what I consider drudgery of like all this really (laughs) heavy technical stuff and redlining, et cetera. And so, um, I ended up uh, starting with a with a a buddy of mine, Boaz Ashkenazi. We ended up co founding Studio Two Sixteen, and we actually started the work when we were there in Rome. Uh, with MBBJ as our first client. So we <laughs> had a way to hey, kind of test the waters sure. of setting up a what started out as a pure rendering business while we were teaching in Rome. Um, and that's kind of that's it, it, what got the ball rolling for us.
0: Unbelievable. First off, uh, I'm trying to... I, I, I drew a map, and I'll show it in a second here. <laughs> but we're talking Wyoming, Montana, North Carolina, Czech Republic, New Jersey, Denmark, Vietnam, Seattle... Shanghai, Rome. This is basically <laughs> what I've come up with, and I'll, uh, I'll yeah. make sure that this gets uh, put online. Right. And then right. we end up somewhere around here, which oh. is the, the wherever it's going to be at the end. Bainbridge. That's, right. B- that's, that's Bainbridge. That's where we'll go. Well, eventually we'll end up up there. But, man, <laughs>
2: everywhere. But but In these three-month, four-month increments, right? I'm just like... But, yeah.
0: but wow. learning and working the entire way in, in, in a lot of reality. I mean, it's... Yeah. Each place that you're going to is is not just this, you know, uh, whimsical vacation for you as much as it is in our minds to go to these places. It is it is work. It's legitimately for a business structure. But you've also figured out how to incorporate both into that element. Right. So if I if I'm going to be here, how do I take business there? Right. Or if I'm here, but I want to be there, how do I take this business there?
2: Right. Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, no, what a trip. Uh, it's um, so in
2: Rome. You start two sixteen.
1: Yes, yeah,
2: just because you're like, hey, I know they, they've got this project coming up. Let's ask them if we can actually do some renderings for them because we kind of have the skill set for it, and we can probably make it happen.
1: Right. Yeah, it was a pretty safe way to start a new business. You know, I I think things have probably changed a little bit, but when I graduated from architecture school, architects. Made almost nothing, and so do they make more now? I uh, let me check the numbers. <laughs> I'm just getting the numbers
0: in. No, same amount, same exact amount. Okay, got um, it. Not not a lot is actually <laughs> so, the, the number one answer.
1: Right, and so I had the I had Spencer. Our first, he was two years old, and I, you know, I kind of had that moment of like, holy shit, I got I've got to support a family. I don't yeah. know that I can do this on an architect's salary, and I. So it didn't feel like I had a, a, a long way to fall. There wasn't a lot to lose. I knew sure. I could always go back and work at NBBJ. We had left on great terms, and as I said, they were they were our biggest customer for many many years. A great fallback. A great, so fallback. a great fallback. Should back, it but it's it's all um, you know. With many things in life, it's kind of timing and luck uh, a lot. <laughs> Nine tenths of it, a I think, percent. is just timing it's all and luck
0: for sure. A hundred percent.
1: Uh, so now you
0: are this rendering company. Right, which is known as Studio C- Two Sixteen. You're in
1: Rome. Uh, Studio C- Two Sixteen comes from. So uh, yeah, another story. I'll try to keep this one short. So please, as I mentioned, I'm we getting were... bored over here. <laughs> I'm right. loving this. What are you talking about? Oh, this is so lame. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of like is, this hog... is incredible. I'm in Hog Heaven, man. This, this is, is <laughs> incredible information. <laughs> Foreshadowing. So, so don't yeah, sh- don't right. shorten nothing for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, m- make keep it, the it right. Road. Keep the story right. So um, yeah, at U Dub, as I mentioned, I was working in Vietnam in the summer. Um, at UW, dub uh, i had asked if they had any studio space where i could do some design work um outside of the studio and they said well we've got room 216 is open why don't uh. you set up uh, set up work there so i recruited uh two of my buddies from graduate school charlie chu and boaz ashkenazi and said hey guys we've got i've got some design projects why don't you come in we'll set up a little shop here and do some some freelance work and um so we kind of, you know, we we were always doing competitions or doing uh, side design work, and we always went under this moniker of 216 Studio 216, which was the actual studio that they had given us to set up a little little shop in. So Impressive. I don't know that they would do that anymore. At uh, it, you know, I'm but sure, there's times were really sure. it's all really the halcyon times of uh, <laughs> the 90s. I think th- th- that stuff flew in the 90s. Yeah, sure. I think in <laughs> some ways it still does. It depends,
0: you know. It's all who you know it's right. all who you know. So now you're Studio 216, you're here. Uh you're 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 doing the work uh as a rendering producer. Mm-hmm. You uh, working with just MBBJ and then it spills out. Yeah, into, it spills it more out the world.
1: It was, it was a perfect timing to start a visualization company because everyone was right in this transitional period. It was uncanny. Every architecture firm that we went into and said, "Hey, you know, are you you need help with renderings or building 3D models everyone to the letter would say yeah we were just talking about that you know yeah. we just we've we've heard that this there's this thing called BIM we've heard that you can do this stuff where we need to figure out a plan we see other people are starting to move that way how Absolutely. can you help us so you know for many years we didn't do an ounce of marketing it was all we could do to just keep up with people who were requesting pushing projects we need, your way making it we happen we need to render it we need a rendering we need a rendering so again we were super fortunate to get in at the time where there wasn't we we still don't have a ton of rendering competition that's based here in the pacific northwest but for many years we were the only game in town interesting and um so we really you know we were in a really fortunate position to not have any competitors and awesome. um and just kind of work on the craft and figure out how we how how we can do this and you know we were we we did really well there and So, you know, I think what has kept Studio 216 moving is um, we have always been interested in the technology side of things. And as rendering, uh, then transition to animation, where we were essentially, you know, just doing 30 renderings a second and, and creating little video pieces and storytelling, as that became more and more sophisticated, we started getting access to more and more interesting software, um, softwares, softwares and, and hardwares, and and it was really I think that a pivotal uh, milestone for us is when Palmer Luckey created this thing called Oculus in his basement, and <laughs> Facebook bought it. Yeah, <laughs> suddenly there was this gold rush of you know, everyone was talking about virtual reality. Right. And for the space that we were occupying at the time, a focus just on architectural visualization, it was a no-brainer to say, oh my gosh, we're like, we're, we're building 3D representations of these spaces that don't yet exist. Uh, imagine if we could make them, you know, actually three-dimensional. Sure. And, um, and so that's what really got us, you know, it was a, it was a very logical connection to move forward with that. And, um, and it was through some of these early explorations we'd done in VR that Microsoft actually found us and said, hey, we're working on this new super-secret piece of hardware. We can't tell you the name of it. We can't tell it. you what it does or rhymes anything with, about it. But rhymes with balo <laughs> Right, right. But you want to you wanna sign away all your rights and sign your <laughs> life away and, and sign up for this thing. We thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, I went. On, to, I, went to, I went to Vietnam and <laughs> almost right. got almost got killed a couple times by right. the engine. Sounds yeah. risky enough thing. to be interesting. <laughs> Sounds right up my alley. So they that um, was, a, you know, they came in. They had a security detail that came in and swept our office, and they made us install a safe and a, yeah. and a video camera that was. Pointed at the safe, and it, you know, it was just like it was unbelievable. Like James All Bond esque. Like James Bond esque. And I then they, they bring out this shiny golden yeah. thing. Yeah, the switches, the, the keys, right. right? Yeah. But it turned out to be HoloLens. Okay. Um, and what was, I think, w- what served Microsoft really well with this product development versus some in the past is. This time, instead of creating an artificial market for HoloLens, they said, hey, we want you to bring an actual customer that has an actual problem to solve in order to be included in this program. Yeah. And so there were seven. There were there were. You seven. probably had
2: one right there at the top of your yeah, list. Right. <laughs> like, well, well, we got yeah, this today. Yeah. right.
1: <laughs> so they they brought in seven different companies to build software for the Hololens, and each company they sort of quote uh, represented a different Segment market vertical. Oh, and okay. so we were the sort of the AEC CRE got it. experts okay. who were, were going to bring in a partner. And so we ended up bringing in Skanska for two and you. Yeah. And out of that partnership, that was Lisa Picard yep. and her vision. She was always a very visionary of, of interested in exploring new ways of doing things and new technology. And,
0: um, an absolute driver of it for yeah. specifically for the construction industry. Yep. Skanska being lucky enough to be a, a large, a large global company that's developing the
1: project as well as, building the project exactly exactly so they were in the perfect position because they had this project at two and you and they you know it was a fairly revolutionary idea of how do we take this tower and lift it up you know several stories and basically make a giant umbrella out of it with a this urban kind of um, space underneath it yeah. that's a public space So they had a very innovative concept, and they wanted to pair kind of the marketing side of this with really innovative technology. And they said, ooh, HoloLens could be be a a neat way to show that and tell that story. Mm -hmm. So it was out of that partnership that we created the world's first mixed reality leasing center and we used Hololens as a way, as a tool for brokers to lead potential tenants through the project and and convey uh, three dimensionally. Is this about the same things.
2: time that Ready Player One came out? Because I'm it's, thinking like that this is basically you building yeah. the oasis for this project, it's right? It's got
1: to be just before
0: I think mm-hmm. before the the movie came out. So we're yeah. talking to actual right holiday.
2: Do you have any Easter eggs <laughs> yeah, in this I, thing? Okay, <laughs> right. Exactly. Do you have any? Or, or or is this Og? Which one is this yeah, guy? Right. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> Well, and this is
0: so for me, it was it's wildly fascinating to see that because I worked uh, on that project for a long time. But to see this um, from the architectural side with just this architect, Picard Chilton, very well known across the United States, but hadn't has not done a a bunch of work here. Mm -hmm. But they they are just drivers and they are just incredible uh, firm. And then Skanska, who wants to take this piece of property that is a prime, yeah, gorgeous, stunning piece of real estate that they had here in Seattle,
2: that was absolutely doing nothing. No, nothing. Absolutely, it, no.
0: It, it was already not occupied with all of these other buildings that were, were yeah. nothing. Yeah, just so really bad. Then they're going to create this building on stilts, this massive two-part. Uh, it's tower. one of my
2: favorite projects downtown right yeah. now. On it really, stilts, really is. beautiful. Park. And then
0: go. We don't want a podium. Like every other building that we exists. Want, we want a village. We want a village. Yeah. We want a space under here that you can, you can actually go into and feel like you're not in the normal part of downtown like you right. have. But how do we get that to the world to have people understand that this is where you want to be ahead of a, a rendering? How do I right. really engage these people early in this to get them to it's understand. It's a pretty it.
2: bold statement to say the world's first virtual oh. leasing center. Yeah.
1: Isn't that is right. that is that correct? Yeah. That's gotta yeah. be yeah. an inc- first, incredible. First mixed reality leasing center. So the so beauty dive of, into that mixed reality yeah. Yeah. for a little bit. You know so, I'd
2: like to actually hear your, your uh, take on what mixed reality really is and how that
1: so affects Microsoft has kind of coined their own way to, to talk about um, another way people often refer to this as XR or extended reality. But yeah, that's the other term so I wanted to XR. ask about. But go ahead. So mixed reality um, sort of encompasses this idea that on you, you have a spectrum. Okay. And on one side of the spectrum, you have augmented reality. That's we're in this physical environment okay. here together, and we're putting digital pixels into this environment. We're augmenting it with additional information. So that's let's call that the left side of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is virtual reality, where we're no longer h- sitting here in this office in Redmond anymore, we're maybe on the moon or right, we're right. in the Caribbean, we're in a virtual environment, completely immersed in this environment. And mixed reality is this notion that you can seamlessly move back and forth mm-hmm. between AR and VR I- along the spectrum, you can slide seamlessly back and forth through the spectrum and the in the way that they wow. can do that is because we're looking we have a headset on we're looking through a transparent lens so i can still see you but then i can also see augmented information in that or right. to the extent that the screen allows i can i can also put you into a more virtual scene Space. And with Hololens 2, which has just been released, um, you know it has it has even twice the field of uh, view, and so it's it's an even more immersive headset where you really can feel like you're in, in a virtual environment.
0: Really, that's incredible, and, and I, it's it's so fascinating to watch here locally because we're sort of in the epicenter of of that world uh, in so many ways. Uh, I'm a video gamer. Mm-hmm. I love playing video games. Uh, I've been waiting for VR. I've been begging for VR since, like, 1991 at least <laughs> uh, when I first started to get a taste of, of, of you know, th- them fantasizing about That was like when, was like when
2: the, you went to the arcades and there was actually the holographic games, right? Oh, yeah. Remember those holographic games yeah, where yeah. it was kind of like a triangle and then you actually, it was like the guy that draw first. You know, I mean, draw, for sure. Or something like that. So
0: all of that is, and it took forever, it felt like, to get it. Oh, uh, right, yeah, um, for sure. And so... You know, I've been uh, Oculus Rift, Oculus Go, Sony PlayStation, um, all in that world, but it didn't seem like ever. At a point, it was going towards marketing the abilities of virtual reality as a business platform. Right. Until I started to really hear what Hololens was doing.
1: Right, and I, you know, I've read various things, but I, I think initially, Microsoft. thought this would be more of a gaming application, but the hardware is incredibly expensive. Yeah, And, um, and <laughs> no, so they knew yeah. no, no gamer was going to buy this $3,500 two- headset, yeah, and so well, they said... Eight,
0: eight people per state. Would make the kind of money <laughs> oh, right. probably, right? Eight exactly. Die hard gamers. Exactly. exactly. So Not, not going to really pay the bills at HoloLens. <laughs>
1: it, it, it sort of de facto became more of an enterprise application. And and so most people who are developing for HoloLens are catering to the enterprise. Yeah.
0: Brilliant, though, uh, because uh, they end with the facility using uh, these projects that are already there are pushing it into the where it needs to be. That's the lane that it really needs to be in because that's been desperately wanted by the industry right for a long time.
2: Well, just from a client standpoint, I mean, dealing with the owners and developers and understanding how they're going to take a project, perform it, and bring it into a space of be like, look, we want to develop 2 Plus U. Here's a 40-story tower. Here we want apartments. We want this. This is how it's going to pencil. Here's your numbers. Here's the Excel worksheet that's going to, okay, this is how we get the ROI back and everything. But show me what it looks like. Right. right? Yeah, Right. The wh- Whatever multi-million dollar project it is, it's now like, well, we can build a model of it. That's kind of been, wh- I mean, you've obviously shared the history. This is literally yeah. a history lesson of kind of how this, this visualization has kind of come to be. Because it's been this this understanding like, well, we'll build a model of it. Okay, build it uh, a little bit bigger. You right. know what I mean? Or how right. can we see what's inside those rooms? Okay, we'll build a mock-up of a room. Right. Or we'll look in this. And then... You know, just the understanding of it, you know, so they can even start pre-leasing the spaces. They can actually get their clientele from like tenants to say, okay, hey, look, we're going to be doing this. Like you want to come and be a part of this eventually, like sign these uh, memo of understandings. They're going to get there. How do they like really get to the point of like now developing the first leasing center? That's like a virtual reality leasing center. Mm -hmm. I mean, how was that accepted from not necessarily developer side, but also from just like the tenant side, the public Mm -hmm. side coming in and actually interacting with that. Did you guys have to manage that? Did you guys have to go down Um, that path? I mean,
1: you know, we, there was some training of the brokers and, um, and you know, this was the first kind of iteration, both of our software and people figuring out the hardware. So, um, you know, it definitely took some additional effort, I think, I for imagine. all the parties to to become familiar with how do we use this yeah. and, and but I think um, you know that was a big draw. People were just interested in the experience as much as anything. Well, that's what so I was thing. It, it was next a great thing. way to get people to come uh and experience the building because they were also interested in well i've I've heard about this i've read about this i actually want to see it for sure you generate a crowd
2: i mean i experience it from i experience an architecture daily i think a lot in 3d i can see things very easy if it's a 2d format i can see okay i can understand how that works interacts with that adjacent material or how that happens but I'm just explaining stuff to, I mean, just to bring it to my world, my wife of like, hey, look, honey, see, this is really cool. You right. know what I mean? Or from a pr- potential tenant that's going to come in and be like, look, here's a 1,100 square foot apartment. Yeah. Like, wait a minute, what? Like, right. it, it doesn't exist. How can I see it? Right. Yeah. No, ah. I think
0: I think there's a, there's a whole level, and I've been in hundreds of meetings we both have, uh, uh, where you're with the developer, you're with the tenant, you're with anybody, and they're posing all of this design or all these aesthetics. And they're like, great, I get it. Here's a sample board of products, like, look and fill the carpet. Exactly. But what's it going to look like? Right. (laughs) That's always the question.
2: And we're like, well, we just showed you. That's what it's going to look like.
0: We're going to raise the ceiling a little bit. We're going to add a soffit over here. We're going to have this condition come down. It's going to be great. Uh, We're going to put that up on a curb. We're going to set that in a channel. Great. Too many words, Brad. Mm -hmm. What is that going to
2: look like? Yeah
0: even a meeting today what's that going to look like and that's a legitimate question to, yeah. if if i'm paying you know any millions of dollars right what's well, it, it going to look like
1: it is interesting cuz you've got kind of two two sides of this coin here from the from the design perspective you want to try to reduce those cycles you want to get buy in you want to be able to clearly quickly effectively um, convey what your design intent is yeah. and what you want this thing to look like. From the from the other side, from the stakeholder, they want to know what it, what is how what is this going to be like at the end of the day? How is this? Am I going to like this? Is this you know? How do I understand this? And and we all know you mentioned your mother or your wife. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we all know looking at a two D <laughs> plan and trying to make sense of that. And then, you, you know, I, I went to graduate school, and yeah. I still have to orient the plan and sure. get my elevation set up and look at the section. Well, and, how many and people stab
2: out. themselves in their eyes? Ugh. Oh, wait, this guy at Pottery Barn, actually. Yeah, right? <laughs> this constantly. guy almost did it constantly, right? right? So the motivation of it. But then, okay, th- th- like I said, too many, words. too many words. This is where it's at. How do I triangulate this in my brain? Where does it work out? But how, like, seamless is it for that tenant or that, like, Potential tenant that's going to come in, put on the headset or put on the hardware, work with that. Take like a five to ten minute orientation, mm-hmm. and then no words have to be spoken. Yeah, you just have to experience it. Right. right. It literally is is just diving into the space. And you talk about immersive technology, which I want to get your take on and how immersive, but seamless, and like you kind of don't have to say anything.
3: Yeah.
1: It's like, well, what's super exciting that has been a, a fairly recent develop for Dell development for us is. Um, We've now developed the tech that allows us to be completely immersive, untethered, and where you can walk, you know, over two objects and past objects. And oh. so we're aligning, we're creating a digital- Show me the way uh, to San Jose, yeah. right, <laughs> Jamie. So we're, we're creating a, a digital twin of an environment. And, okay. a, and here's a classic use case. So uh, I think I mentioned earlier, we're subleasing uh, a portion of B plus H Architects um, gotcha. floor space. And they, ha- they had an, uh, an open section of the floor that they would like to sublease to somebody else. And so they created a little test fit and they gave us the the test fit design and we put it into our software and aligned that test fit digital twin with the actual physical open floor plate. Now this floor plate had construction debris piled over on one side and it was a you know it was a storage area for sure. the leftover office so it didn't look pretty to show but what we were able to do is align the digital twin in hand you could either be in a hollands you can be on a phone or a, a tablet or however you want to experience this Anywhere you look, you're seeing the new design, and you can walk up and past objects and look at it. So it's a, like a window into the future of what this space could look like. My goodness. And then you can even interact with that environment now. So if you say, yeah, I like that chair here, but I wish this desk configuration was moved over here, you know, you can touch your screen and you can drag it to a different location. This is full-scale augmented reality mixed because reality we're or, or, augmented or mixed reality it could be really still getting used that, to the terms but yeah. <laughs> right um so you can but you can actually be in the environment and in this case i i would call this more of an augmented experience because we're still we're actually in their office in this open floor plate and i'm just augmenting it with the with a vision of the future interesting um but what's cool is that you don't have to be in that environment. I can show you that office here in, in this studio here. I can I can bring it up on my phone or a tablet or a headset, and we can look at the virtual environment of what it would look like as if we were standing there. So I can also show you a, a virtual application of so that exact So my same wife space. couldn't make
2: the appointment, right? Right.
1: And so here's another Hello. option for hey. you <laughs> of, of what, what we've done with our software yeah. is we have networked devices together. So okay. you can be here in Redmond. Maybe your wife is in Bellevue. You guys can join together. She can be in a, on a phone, and you can be on your computer, and you can be in this environment together. And as she is moving and manipulating things, you're connected with voice over IP, and you can in real time see what the other person is doing wow. when you're collaborating across devices connected with voice over IP, doing, making these full scale or real scale manipulations in real time. So And this
0: is one hundred percent a real thing that Studio two sixteen is doing right now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, day in and day out. Sorry This now is old technology, oh. Walker. Right? I know I'm like <laughs> This is old I'm technology. Salivating <laughs> and
0: know, just frothing too. at the mouth. And then they're probably like, oh, that's like three well, three <laughs> gens backs." Doesn't bring, even make sense. This yeah. is
2: so when I was doing a little I don't know, a little researching and Googling, you know, to kind of find out a little bit about it, when I read your slogan, like it kind of got me a little bit like oh, just yeah, whoever, exactly whoever wrote the copy for that should get an extra five hundred dollars. Wow.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: because so it was phenomenal.
2: Let me read it. So it says digital so two sixteen is a digital pr- productions agency helping others and clients experience unbuilt totally you i'm totally wrecking it right now. a thousand percent so digital a digital production agency helping clients experience the unbuilt environment using virtual reality visualization mobile application to craft the story of place
1: Oh God, that's so great. Craft the story of place. Right. The back of the hairs in the back of your neck are standing. Yeah. Oh, that's it feels that's arousing.
0: That is phenomenal.
2: That's great. Man. I have
0: two uh, things that I want to touch on real quick. Uh, renderings to, to jump back a, a touch. Renderings changed the industry in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Renderings gave people a I don't get what this looks like though. Mm-hmm. Axioms were kind of a thing that you could sort of two-dimensionally give a little bit more to. But the rendering added a color flare, a tree, uh, sometimes subjectively, parts of the actual block behind it. So it was a little bit of its own mixed reality. Right. Uh, And then the renderings would be done, and they'd they'd pay for them in the very beginning of the project. And then the project would go through nine iterations, and they would still be pointing to renderings. And the renderings looked half Close to what the building actually looked like, right, right. Um, so they became somewhat useless to the actual project. Um, now it seems like they're 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 actually updating renderings, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is which is so amazing to see as well. Like to see the progression of rendering right. through the process, and sometimes right. it's a rendering of here's because I mean sometimes they give you a cocktail napkin sketch of well go render it right right. So you're like. Okay, <laughs> hopes and dreams and <laughs> there's a rainbow and a unicorn over Absolutely. here. Absolutely. Uh so I'm sure as that becomes um something, the renderings you know continue to become pretty unbelievably impressive. Yeah. Where some renderings I really have to do a, a, a like second a photograph a yeah. second glance and right. be like, is it?
1: No. no, the craft has gotten um it's Just you, awesome. Yeah. You can really geek out on the renderings and you know. Put dust on the floor, and you know you can make it look like it's, a photograph. It's yeah. unbelievable just yeah. on its own. And then uh, I
0: find this fascinating for this industry because uh, its construction architecture are wildly pushing the limits every day, and are still so far behind all the time. Hmm. Because there's 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 a couple people at the very front that are pulling the industry forward, and then there's a billion people in the middle who are like, "Whoa, yeah. wait." Because you talk about BIM, and BIM took over in a big way, specifically on the architectural side, on the development side. The contractors took a lot longer to get up to speed on and are still just now getting into it. And then beyond that, the subcontractors are still way beyond because it still hasn't caught up the way that it needs to. Right. Um, With this reality that's being created for touring, understanding, just now recently there was a big product uh, where a uh, local organization, uh, architect, and a general contractor rented out warehouse space and created an entire floor of a hospital mm-hmm. out of cardboard. Right. Which yeah, is which is not common. uncommon. Yeah, it's a it's a common theme. But then in my mind, I'm thinking that's still so many <laughs> steps back right. from what could yeah, be happening.
1: Now that one's kind of a head scratcher for us as well. And you know, ironically, we haven't done a lot of those. They do that a lot in healthcare. A um, lot in where healthcare. Where you do cardboard yeah, they do. mock-ups, they're they're busing physicians and nurses out, you know, to a warehouse somewhere outside of town. It's that's a very natural application of where virtual reality would make a lot more sense because you oh. could you could actually interact with photorealistic looking, you know, head walls and different things, and you can actually, you know quickly iterate on the fly and say, no, 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 that's too far away. Yeah. Well, here, let me just move this thing over closer to you. And then you try, you've got a different arm span. So no, that's a, that's a natural, that's a great natural application. It that seems like you, it
0: would be so much more beneficial. Right. Quick side note. If anybody needs extra cardboard for your healthcare project, <laughs> I've got Amazon boxes <laughs> for days. Call me. I'll send it out or to better you. Better uh, yet,
1: call me and you won't even need to use the <laughs> card. Hey. Even, uh. even, even even better. Even better. No, I and
0: that, that is it's it's recently just yeah. happened here. And so that caught my eye is like, I get what you're doing, however, yeah. comma. Yeah. No. Stop. Yeah. Don't right,
1: right. right. Well, and and not to mention even just the, the environmental impact. I mean, it's so cool working with pixels every day because, you know, you can iterate you can iterate to your heart's content. You're not burning you know, you're not burning any resources. No, no, you're not. You're not. Uh, time
0: time and, and you know, that's it. That's so that's you, that's another huge piece. That <laughs> environmentally <laughs> I never even thought about uh, that. But
2: you're but, consistently blowing Walker's mind, by the way. Uh, this is great. You know. I've sat in a puddle for So the last and, and this just seems so Typical for Jamie, you know. He's also like, no sh-
0: nonchalant, like yeah, so what? I do the coolest stuff ever in architecture, <laughs> world's and first leasing center. <laughs> I do all this cool things that nobody knows, you know, about. No,
2: and, and Walker actually made this this comment earlier, as far as like you were the kind of selling that first plane that ever kind of existed in this world, and it, it, it's a like this machine can fly. You got to be kidding me! That's seven million thousand pounds. How can this get off the ground? Well physics you oh, know bumblebees fly, <laughs> <Bumblebees> fly. <Wow. laughs> this will work <laughs> you know no but i in in i kind of that's why i wanted to kind of go next is, yeah. is understanding like you're looking at these technologies and so much part of studio 216 is actually i think just by nature has been kind of on the forefront of just understanding wherever you are meet um xr ar those mixed reality sessions go how does this how does this affect the overall um Architectural industry and where is where's that next step or what is like one or two of those things that you're you're seeing now mm-hmm. that we'll be able to kind of like just watch out for or look into. I mean, right? You know, I'm curious on that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I can. I've got several thoughts. Sure. Uh, rattling around it. Just I take mean, one. Let's just take one at a time. time. Let's take that one, one at a time okay. and put it on the shelf. So, uh, I think that. Um, where this will inevitably go in my mind is that this concept of the digital twin is going to become more and more important that's a, that's a
2: huge term right there digital twin that know, this is really interesting
1: because the the you know you start off you think of kind of the life cycle of of a, of a design project you've, okay. obviously you've got this whole design phase where you're just trying to you're trying to make the best looking design and the you know for you want it to to flow right you want the proportions to be right all right. the kind of design considerations that you make that can all be done with this digital twin and then you move into the phase where you're constructing it and this is the piece that i feel like is is going to be the next well let me let me back up really quickly well, so I, I think the design so far the design side and the, the leasing side sure. has been kind of the typical place where we have, we have met a need. Sure. Um, we've helped people, the designers understand what this thing is going to look like and communicate it to the stakeholders. And then we've helped the, the brokers and the developers pre-lease or sell these properties by converting that same asset into a marketing application. Right. But it strikes me that there, are two more kind of bubbles of opportunity with this digital twin. One is on the construction side, and then uh, the next will be on kind of the facilities side of maintaining and operating this building. Sure. Because you now, I was
2: hoping is going to go here because yeah. this is this is a big part of us. Go Huge. ahead. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So you know, on the construction side, the ability to see what the end manifestation is supposed to be like and yeah. have a reference check. As you're, as you're building and producing it, is, it seems to me like a, a very, very natural, valuable thing to have right. as a check. And to understand or maybe even access information of, you know, I, I know I need to build this HVAC. Let me just, let me access this digital twin and pull up some information of the specs of this, you know, this piece of equipment here or the, or the glazing or, you know, whatever it is going to be in your world. Like we can embed so much rich data that can be fed seamlessly in from the programs that are already working, where we can pull and expose this information inside the digital twin and then, you know, democratize that information. So anyone on the job site can be on a phone or a headset or however they want to consume that information. They can then access it and use it to validate. We know a huge part of um, the cost of these buildings is in – is in both on the waste and in doing things incorrectly and having to tear it out and redo it again. Oh, so yeah. the ability to minimize that is a huge opportunity. So I think that's kind of one, one bucket of opportunity. And then once you know, you've know you created this asset, there's no reason that that asset should be thrown away at any point in the, in the life cycle of this building. That's an incredible asset to use to now link all your IoT data into this digital twin where you can see you know the the rate of airflow coming through uh, oh a duct goodness. and you can see you know there's a sensor going off well before i send a guy out to the actual building to go look at that you know this this VAV that's that i'm, I'm getting a an erroneous reading on only to find that the ladder he brought you know this is above an atrium a 20 foot atrium he brought a 6 foot ladder we just wasted all his yeah, time no of going possible. out there. Why not have just looked at the digital twin, see, oh my gosh, that's right in tr- this atrium. Hey, we better we better prepare for that so we can go out and um, you know, and service that correctly. And then once he's on site or she's on site, the ability then to um, you know, leverage that information and call back into a virtual expert and say, "Hey, I'm looking at this thing, but I'm not exactly sure what I'm looking at here." And have a, a person at, at Command Central, you know, seeing through the eyes of this person in the field and circling it and saying, "No, no, no, it's this, this meter here, and, and change this valve or spark plug over here." And so there, there's a kind of a whole world of opportunity where we can we can leverage this asset for so many different things. And I'm I, so I glad think, you're
2: blowing his brain right now. Yeah. <laughs> this
1: is- great I, just watch this but yeah. he's, just watch this bro, right now. <laughs> so,
2: you're,
0: you, so what you're saying
1: <laughs> is so what you're actually take saying, this yeah.
0: incredible piece and keep it applicable in so many ways all for the same you know general goodness of the of the project and right. the building and just find all of these applicable means and methods and and push them through
1: absolutely i mean i i my prediction is that in the future this digital twin will be a very very valuable asset the people who own the digital twins of these buildings will be these assets uh, will have an incredible asset portfolio because Anytime you want to do a TI or a renovation, you're going to access this digital twin. You're going to understand where the where the hidden chases are, where the electrical wires are. You're going to you're going to so have so it brings a whole new definition to
2: as-built drawings, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. And and,
1: yeah. and the other
2: the other direction I wanted to ask on that is is that like can anybody really kind of feed this digital twin? Is it a place where you can can kind of add to it to say from an as-built standpoint? So one of the things we deal with and are kind of being introduced to in um, from a product's application standpoint is, okay, um, this whole aspect of sending guys out to field measure to make sure that the products can be made correctly, or if it's a guaranteed dimension thing on a 2D format, and then all of a sudden, the steel guy's tolerances, because of the schmelter, like all these different factors work. Mm-hmm. So what we're seeing is, is kind of enter our space is these this three D scanning material, yeah. right? Yep. So I'm I'm curious uh, how how is it how are those individuals that are kind of the artisans of the work, right? Mm-hmm. They they actually do the application, they understand it, they get the thermal value tolerances, they. They they may, they have these engineering standards in their head after these thirty five years of experience of right. like leave that a sixteenth short because you want to make sure that the x y and z happens right so how is how is that feeding itself to get smarter and how how are is are, are these digital twins enabled to actually then receive that education receive that information so it then can actually like feed itself for that next project yeah
1: or, I'm curious no. on that uh, you know I don't know the exact status of development of that if someone's okay. attacking that exact problem right now. But I think there is absolutely the opportunity. There's no reason that can't be done. Sure. Um, of uh, of having, you know, some sort of AIML layer that runs on top of this digital twin that understands and gets smarter with each building project of like, oh, I consistently see that we're cutting this thing a 16th inch too short. You know, I'm going to flag that... Um, you know prior so you make sure you don't do that interesting uh, it it leads me to kind of a, a an um, another thought what we've seen in the process you know for many many years we've been focused on ACCRE that's been our bread and butter that's what we that's what we've done sure we've um, in the past probably 18 to 24 months we've come to understand that now that we have this virtual environment, there are all kinds of interesting different things that we can do with this. <laughs> right. And so we have yeah. customers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah.
3: Lots yeah. of interesting stuff. Anyways, right. go
1: ahead. <laughs> so we have built out the functionality with our Altura platform where we can provide virtual training in the context of a, of a, of a virtual environment. And so uh, just take one second to kind of um, introduce this concept of the the information worker uh, versus the frontline worker. Okay. Are you guys familiar with this concept? So, so I'm sure we are. Go I'm to
0: say we 100% are, but just for somebody <laughs> who's listening and <laughs> uh, doesn't right, right, right. yeah, so you, you told us before, Jamie. Yeah, yeah, right,
1: right. Yeah. So the information worker, this is the person that um, is in front of their computer all day long. They use their computer to do their work. And it's right. and it's typically the world that software companies have targeted in the past because they're, it's easy to serve software to somebody who's sitting in front of a computer. Um, I believe the numbers are there, there are roughly 1.1 billion information workers in the world today. There's actually a larger segment of the of the employed population that are called fr- frontline workers or first-line workers. And these are the people who whose environment, immediate environment, is critical for them to perform their job. So this, anyone in the construction industry, for example. What's the ratio or, there? What's so the I think it's it? about 1.3 billion frontline workers versus 1.1 billion first-line workers. So there's actually more, you know, 55, whatever that is, 57%. People are first-line workers, and this is the world that people who are in my line of work with, with um, extended reality, these are the consumers of extended reality. That's what I was just going to um, write down. This is awesome. This is our target audience because we want to provide these people access to information about their environment Yes, and give it to them in a timely, accessible, consumable manner.
0: No, that that is incredible. Um, where my brain has been, and I've been listening, I uh, trust me, I've been listening <laughs> for the most part. But my brain just keeps going to how how many applicable worlds this type of uh, yeah. machine technology. Oh, it's, it, it lives in. like I think of everything that we have, you know, most most technology that we have. Everything starts as as a big machine, and it gets smaller as we get smarter about it, right? So you think of a computer that used to fill up room after room after room and could do like one half meg of data a day. Right, right. Now you know I've got sixty four gigs in a in in literally no square inches. Um, But if you're creating something and you're trying to launch a product or you're trying to, to recreate a printer or you're trying to do something, yeah. if you create it in this world, you can literally walk around like it's the Titanic. right? And you can say, this is not going to work here because heat's going to come off of this. I mean, sure, you can do that in some ways now, but not to the level right, of yeah. being able to walk through it like it's a giant machine that you would have built 40 years ago. Yeah. or Because that's when it was built the right way. right? When it was giant, you could do Jeez. it and tighten it and get it in that spot. And that's why we, we build things. Uh, they get they get a little less developed and a little less stable as we go through it because we have to to micro and shrink and get everything yeah, down. Right. And you can't, you like engine in a car, right? Everybody used to be able to get in there and there's plenty of room to turn a wrench. And right. now you open up your hood and there's like <laughs> a, one yeah. nano sliver uh, right. of, of room that nobody could get into a, at all. Right. So even the concept of that, on a scale model that I can walk through in my, in virtually, you know, digitally yeah.
1: or explode it and see inside of it and turn it around and see the, you know, expose just the wiring diagram of it or, yeah. You know, yeah. But
0: to walk through a microprocessor as if it is the engine of the Titanic. Right. And I can go right. through each and every small crevice uh, with true understanding of what it's going to, how it's going to interact in that right. moment. And that's so valuable right. to what's going on right now.
1: So, so to that point, There there are kind of four (laughs) bubbles of... Okay. Keep going. (laughs) Within kind of extended reality, you see the applications aligning generally around kind of four different uses. You've got what we've already covered. You've got this design exploration where you want to understand, you want to iterate, you want to understand the design. So that's one. You've got sales and marketing where, hey, I'm trying to show you this building or this product, and I want you to try on this virtual dress or this virtual hat or see this building. Gotcha. So there, there's there's that application. There's um, kind of a field service that I touched on briefly, this way that I can augment information in your environment and help you in a field service kind of remote expert application. Mm-hmm. And the last one is education, mm-hmm. which you also are kind of uh, bringing up. Yep. And um, kind of to your earlier point a few minutes ago, where you were talking about how can we make these digital models um, smart, these digital twins smart, so you right. know the sixteenth of an inch is propagating. We learned from that, and I think there's another huge opportunity within this, these training and learning scenarios where you think about buildings wildly expensive. Like you know, we've worked on projects that are half a billion, billion dollar projects. Oh yeah. Just wildly. Um, that, by nature, is going to push people to be very conservative about how they do things. They don't want to. They don't want to get too far out <laughs> in the leading edge because there's sure. too much risk. Yeah. Well, and there. there's
2: also so much time involved with those projects. It's yeah, not it's a, a scary It's, edge. it's not only five hundred and seventy-five million dollars that you're spending. Right. But then you're actually letting that five hundred and seventy-five million dollars kind of out there. Right for like yeah. three years, yeah, right? Exactly. So exactly, what the what the political climate's going to be doing, what the the World Trade Organizations are going to be doing to affect that five hundred and seventy five million dollar like right. ROI? Right. I mean, the time associated to that. I mean, just because of the technology, everything waiting going going so quickly, the security of that investment is just right unspeakable.
1: So uh, my the point of why I bring that up is yeah I I think that. What's exciting for me is the ability to show this information virtually at scale and interact with it takes a lot of that risk off the table, presumably, because now we can look at it and interact with it and run modules on top of it to explore it as if it did exist. We can see how that curtain wall may potentially fail because we can build it And we can run, you know, AIML algorithms on top of it to see what happens over time with rain beating down on this gasket, you know, what happens over time. And so I would like to think that we're at a period in the construction industry that we'll see more acceleration of um, maybe a little more risk taking because we can mitigate some of that risk by doing some of these explorations virtually at scale yeah well there's so much
2: information in the construction world from a product standpoint performance standpoint and and how how that's going to be addressing that next generation of just okay feeding that that uh what was that term you said digital twin yeah you know Um, and and understanding how we can collectively do it there's man i just well then also
0: Really in, the, really in the two sides of perceived risk and actual risk. Mm-hmm. Right. Because to me, this, in a lot of ways, I could see a developer going, that's too much risk because they don't understand how that actually is a risk mitigator. Mm-hmm. And it's going to work the other way. Well, and then the, 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 other guy with,
3: the
2: guy with 35 years experience has to actually come in and actually meet face to face with yeah. the developer and be like, look, yeah." Right. so here's the three projects he showed you pictures of. But <laughs> let me tell you, right? And then the guy with like the salt, right? Yeah. Like the, the real the, the guy that that, that frontline worker, so to speak, right. right? Comes in and be like, okay, all right, all right, settles this guy down a little bit, understand it. But like I, that's why that's why I say from the beginning, of like so many words go into explaining these two D applications and design, and then all of a sudden there just kind of gets the speechless moment of just interacting with the space, right. Right. You know, because we do it every day. Like we live in this 3D environment every single day of actually to scale products, actually understanding it, driving cars, like everything that has to do with it, how natural of an experience it already is. And we're just kind of returning to that natural state of communication. Right. It's a really yeah really a impressive. Yeah. Is, it's a really impressive way to, to do it. Super impressive.
0: Yeah. Is the architectural community latching onto this for themselves?
1: Um, yeah, I would say that I feel like most architects that we interact with are, are using VR to some extent within, as part of their design processes. Yeah, uh, There are a lot of different companies who focus just on that design application. Um, so you've got great companies like Iris VR that is a direct export from Revit into a VR headset. Um, we... Studio two sixteen, we've we've taken the tact that we believe that it's a it's too early to drive a, a stake in the ground and say, this is what extended reality can do for you. Right. And so <laughs> we we sort of have fundamentally built our software application so that we can react to each of those four different typical applications that I mentioned before. You you can use it as a design tool. You can use it as a sales and marketing tool. You can use it as an education tool. You can use it for field service. And we have customers in each of those four scenarios. For example, we have airlines that is using our software for um, their virtual simulators. So they're exploring moving away from having a, a, a physical virtual simulator, which is very, very expensive, you know these airlines; they sure. have they have pilots that are getting up at two, three in the morning for their slot in the simulator because they're very expensive. They got so many people; they've got to go through and train. Yeah. What if you could do that in the comfort of your living room anytime you wanted? And so, because it's virtual, wow. you're able to interact with the buttons there. You're able to get the the exact audio feedback that you're listening. Your for, muscle you memory these, happens, right? right? All that muscle yeah. memory. It's a very natural It's video games man it's 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 a hundred percent video games games. i was trying to be polite and let him you know
0: kind of finish and then the whole time i'm going dude i want i want that i want to play that i want to play that yeah absolutely i've landed some virtual planes before i can do that i'm so good at it i've I've hijacked a couple digital planes (laughs) all (laughs) (laughs) kinds of stuff it doesn't matter so we
1: have um we have Um, that is training their retail associates in the context of a virtual (laughs) store where they can walk around, they can interact with the various products selling, and they can also then interact with different avatar customer profiles. So we've got a whole system of where you can talk with a protective parent who's interested in making sure, you know, they want the Drive that that monitors the the vehicle speeds and et cetera that's yeah. happening for your for your teen driver. Right. Or uh, you can interact with the with this, the techie who just is wants to geek out on all this equipment. And now we're able to network together across devices. Has their trainers that are based in Kansas City. They can train people all over the United States. They train twenty thousand retail associates a year. Um. They can d- run these virtual sessions, My goodness. <laughs> and um, they can interact with different uh, uh, customer profiles. They can evaluate how they're doing. They can they can dialogue with them, all within this virtual context. Wow. It now not only saves them the cost of all the travel of having to fly all over the United States to train these people, but they also... Um, as you, someone just mentioned with muscle memory, all yeah. of these academic that was studies me. have shown <laughs> that, was that you're much me. more likely to retain <laughs> that information if you're actually going, you're engaging your whole body in, in doing that work because it's just we're we're spatial learners, and it's uh, versus oh. watching a video or just looking at a, a two right. D spec if you can actually do it. And for your what you're talking about with the building industry, to be able to go in and actually build or mock up you know, a section of this curtain wall and understand how all the pieces go together and be able to perform that virtually and have a mentor here showing you and saying, oh, no, no, no don't cut it there. Remember the 16th inch mm-hmm, deal? Mm-hmm. That's a very powerful way that it gets ingrained in our bodies and we quickly learn and are able to pass that on to the next person yeah. because we, we we understand it in the context of our virtual environment.
0: Yeah, and see, I... <laughs> whatever. <laughs> ah, that's all incredible. It's just so... Like I have so many people that I know that think that the the continued virtual reality, the continued all of that is going to lead to. I don't know if you have ever seen the the movie Wall-E. Yeah, where yeah, yeah. where all the oh, humans right. basically end up yeah, just in this little like chairs a little stunted, and, uh, and yeah, just yeah. we don't Our know bone density Shrinks or <laughs> <whatever>. everything <laughs> is just. Uh, but like even even for the gaming side of it, and specifically for this application, like virtual reality, in the way that it is right now, is so dynamic, mm-hmm. in the fact that it is when when I play some of these games with my kids, it's physically exhausting, right? And it is wildly immersive, where you get a hundred percent captured in this, and you are down on the ground, and right. you are up in the and you are you need a bunch of space, <laughs> but it is uh, it is not just you know some guy sitting at a, in a in a chair with this with this screen on his face, right? Uh, it's wildly immersive. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Ugh. So, you, okay, this is gonna go on for four years. It will be, and So, I, so I'm gonna say that that you have to let us come out okay. to the studio. Absolutely, we have to spend some time looking, touching, tasting, feeling. Well, we want to bring, bring it to you bring guys. It to everybody you know, here, we
2: want to actually take it to say, like, hey, you guys actually got to come and look at this. Like, this now. I'm just kind of getting the sense here, and hopefully, you guys are too. It's like not this. Like well, this is a great subject. You know, let me go Google this.
1: Like, no, let's go play. Yeah, right? no, you. It's transformative to actually interact. Let's go do it. We have to. have to. You have to get your hands on it to understand the can't power. Can't wait, man. And That's this is be this impressive.
0: is the narrative for the what, right. what that this episode is the will be. Yeah. This is this is the the the, the, the verb
2: of it. I literally, we could talk about this forever. I know 100%. we got we got to roll this down though. Um, hundred <laughs> percent.
0: So s- sincerely, thank you so yeah. much. No, We're gonna come out. We're gonna do that. We're gonna wind this down for now. We're gonna jump into the to the Edify top two, really quick. Um, I'll go first, selfishly, uh, to set it up. I was gonna suggest it. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna suggest <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you go first. Yeah. Uh, so every episode we end with an Edify top two. It's okay. anything that you're super obsessed with, into, passionate about, something recent, something that's it's happened. Something
2: you tripped over. You got bugged with. I don't care. You, you know, know what a, I mean. A, a <laughs> waiter, a
0: cocktail, a drink, a whiskey. A lot of times for me, it's a whiskey. Yeah. A, lot a lot of, of times time for me, it's for a coffee. coffee. You know? Whiskey and coffee. Uh, for me. Uh, we talked about it earlier, but my top two. I'm going to go back to it just because it's so big for us. Having a deck on our house that yeah, we've I lived know. in forever. What's right. on that deck? A table, chairs. This past weekend. That's I my second. So okay, don't, good. Don't All right, sorry. I want, to, I want to. get there. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> so to to go out and just to see my kids and and us to have us like to have a table we can quickly go to. We've played a game out there almost every night. Oh, so like great. it's just it's just an incredible amount of fun, um, and then. I got a Traeger smoker this weekend. Yes, you do. Oh, so at the 4th right. of July gathering. So, yeah,
2: this is this is impressive though. Yeah, so at the 4th
0: yeah, of July beautiful. gathering, uh, I, I happened to be amongst two incredible humans yeah, uh, so who my- <laughs> were doing some smoke. You tell it on your own time. I will. Is this <laughs> so a hot
1: smoker or a cold smoker? A hot smoker. A hot smoker, okay.
0: So they uh, were... B- one of them had brought some ribs that, that he had done. And then they started talking and I got caught up and captivated in the whole process and everything. So I went out and went the. Went the, the super easy way, which is to go with the Traeger, and uh, which is an electric uh, pellet-based uh, smoker, yeah, and did a brisket, and I did it pretty close to okay. Um, you know, It was a 10-hour smoke, and I didn't foil it at the right time, and this and that. I'll figure it out on the next one, but I'm so excited to get in there and yeah. really just start trying this, and start trying this, and start trying this, so it's opened an entire new world of food. Um, we didn't touch on that.
2: No, we didn't. Uh, well, I'm going to.
0: Okay, so... Uh, those are my top two, Deck awesome. and the Traeger.
1: Awesome.
2: So um, uh, Brad introduced me to a show um, on Netflix called The Chef Show. Okay. So John Favreau, creator of Marvel, Iron Man, director of Iron Man, that kind of guy. He, he, he had a, uh, a movie a couple years back called Chef. They're, Chef. It's just called Chef. And um, it was inspired by, while well, he was working on Iron Man, um, Gwyneth Paltrow actually brought a, uh, a food truck. To the set one huh. day, and, and it was a Kogi food truck. They took um, kind of like they mixed Korean cuisine with the, like Southern California Mexican vibe, Super you know, LA yeah. Korean, Sur- kimchi, LA, just tacos, yeah. so like burrito this, bar. Yeah, exactly. So he brought this Kogi food truck to the set, and John Favreau was so taken back by how amazing the food was. And then he got talking with the actual chef that was on the truck. And it was just one truck. He's like, so what's your story? How does this work? So as a result, he actually <laughs> he created yeah. a movie huh. about this guy and his food truck. But John Favreau was now this, this guy. He, in the yeah. movie, it's called Chef. And, he, and as a result, it's been a couple of years since he's been doing it. And then he kind of went back to the chef for a couple of years. And he's like, hey, I miss cooking with you. Yeah, I miss huh. like what's what's happening like. Yeah, he <laughs> so goes,
0: chef chef was a story about uh, a guy who is a classically trained French cuisine chef, okay. legit as they say in their world, a legit chef, uh, who ended up getting sacked and then started a food truck, which is like the lowest right. food form for for true chefs, right? And then he, he sort of proved that you can you can do that in both environments, and it was wildly popular amongst chefs like right. legit chefs. One, because it told a story that a lot of them face, which is, how can you have high-level cuisine at a food truck level? And they all know that you can now. But also because it touched on a truth for them in a lot of ways, which is, uh, he did it right in the movie. Uh So when he was actually (laughs) cooking, it was the legit style. And that was the one thing that chefs always say you get wrong in movies, is is the cooking side. So Uh he did it, and it became a wildly popular thing. So he
2: got down to this like chef thing, and he's just like, man, I just miss... Cooking with you, like where, because he actually traveled with him during the movie. He's like, no, you do it this way, or tweak it this way. This is how you actually do the recipes, or if you you don't have it, you improvise. All these different things, and he just missed that cathartic nature of cooking, right? Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh, well, let's just start cooking together again. Yeah. And I'll bring my film crew, and we'll see what happens. As a result, this Netflix show was born called The Chef Show. And so they go around to these various restaurants, or they maybe just kind of take a menu and they'll rework it, or they take special dishes and stuff. And There's, it's just like
0: this podcast. Yeah, it really you is. You can't define what it is in right. any way other than and they don't. this is in this world and that yeah. is in that world.
3: Yeah. No, it
2: is. It was anyway. So I've been I binged it like just from yeah. and then I re and then I rewatched like two <laughs> or three episodes. I was like, I got to watch that again. And the one that like got me was this um, the Aaron Franklin episodes for Franklin Barbecue out at um, um, Austin. Austin, Texas. Um, there was two episodes shot on that with this thing. And I just watched rewatched those two episodes through it and how he was describing how he like gets the brisket. He'll, you know, he trims all the fat, does all the different things. And then, and then how aerodynamic the, he's actually shaping the brisket to be so it'll smoke correctly. Oh, my gosh. Right?
0: Wow. Oh,
1: yeah. So everything comes over the top, and then the, all the right. conversation
2: of left shoulder, right shoulder. Yeah, yeah, so so cows naturally kind of lean on the right shoulder or something like that. So as when a they, result, when the they right, right brisket, <laughs> yeah, when they get up, they get up this way, so the right brisket's a little tougher than the left one, so naturally yeah. you kind of ask for the left briskets. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. so I've been super obsessed with that show. That's the number one. And then the number two is something that I stumbled over on you, Jamie. So... Yeah. When so, I'll read it here. It says when Jamie isn't working, all right. This is when Amy, Jamie isn't working in the virtual world. He can be found on his farm in Bainbridge Island, building furniture, tending sheep, and butchering blue ribbon market hogs. Oh yeah, great. So you can is that a tr- take, is that true? That's so you, true. You can no, take the true. Wyoming Montana <laughs> boy out of Wyoming and Montana, but you can't take the Wyoming Montana out of the boy.
1: All right, no, that's true. What so, the
2: hell, man? This is cool. Yeah. So full circle, though. Full
0: circle. Back to where it started,
1: though. Yeah. Yeah. So, again, I, I guess that goes back to, I think everybody probably idealizes their childhood, but I grew up I with do. horses and In know, no way do I, but that's fine. He <laughs> is the guy that loved his high school, right? Absolutely. Still does. does. Uh, they don't care uh, for him as much, but... Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, that's probably not true. It's not Um hard. So having these two boys and raising them in the city, I just kept on saying to my wife, like, oh, gosh, we got to get these kids out of the city. And <laughs> she's from Atlanta. She's a complete city girl. And I, you know, I, I, I like the open space. So I finally kind of wore her down and um, we ended up buying a little farm over on Bainbridge Island. And. Um, <laughs> So I get to split my days and my life between, you know, a very kind of tech, futuristic heavy, and then- uh, Fifth and, on and Madison. Uh, right. And then get to take yeah. the ferry across. To, oh. I, I go to the opposite end of the spectrum, and I've got big gardens, and I'm raising uh, hogs and lambs and chickens and um, and- I've been learning the process of uh, slaughtering and butchering. So I'm building right now a, a kind of a butchery station. I've got a walk-in cooler, and I've got all the, um, you know, tables, and I'm learning how to break down these uh, and primal cuts and awesome. French chops and different things. Yeah. So that's what I are talking about, my two things. I mean, that's certainly a, something that's big on... Uh, has been big for me of building out this butchery station and then also learning the craft of, of, of old-school butchery. Wow. Um, so that's been super satisfying. Uh, and
2: balancing. you know, and, and balancing, I can, yeah. I can oh. see kind of a balance effort. I, I love gardening. I love the Farm to table experience. I do as much of that with a lot of the – I live in Snohomish County, so I interact with a lot of the farmers, yeah. get a lot of the different cuts and from them, or I'll talk with them about it, like what do you have or something like that. So I, I love it as well. I'm not right. the farmer – Right. I'm the I'm the understanding of who that is, and then I'll kind of... But no, this is wildly entertaining. Go ahead. Yeah. This is
1: why I wanted to have the top two for me. Right. No, no. So uh, I think that maybe the other two for me, then, the second would be um, I have a 12-year-old who's really into coffee, and I love coffee, and I love espresso, and... Um, so I've been helping him build a little coffee roasting business. We have a coffee roaster, and um, we're we're learning to roast these different beans. Right now, we're hooked on these Ethiopian beans that oh, they're so roasting. great. You thing. know what? I'll just leave the. So com- I'm just going you to you log step off. Out of the room for a second, Brad. <laughs> I'm just going to log off of this You're conversation right. <laughs> and take. So a I've quick... been roasting my own coffee for oh, the last two years.
2: Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> great. Yeah. <I'm laughs> just fall asleep here, buddy. <laughs> Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> take a nap. So Ethiopian's uh, been one of my favorites that okay. I'll roll with a lot of time. Awesome. Also right. from a blending standpoint, it does a really good job.
1: And what are you blending with? What so
2: so it does just different origins. So if it's a uh, right now Peruvian and Guatemalan and Ethiopian. Those okay. are the three that I've been kind of just messing with lately. Yeah. Huh. From like a ratio standpoint. But I've real actually I've realized when I'm blending it, I actually have to individually roast every single one of them. Yeah. I'll brew each one of them. And then I'll like through the same brewing method. So traditionally I'll do a, either a um, a stove top percolator or it's a French press that okay. I'll kind of do with all steel. I don't do any really paper filters or anything like uh-huh. that, just to make sure that I get the oils and a lot right. of that stuff that comes right. through. And then um, mixing each one of them just in within various cups of coffee. So I'll do like my own little cupping thing. This is literally like. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what I'll do just to
2: kind of keep myself entertained. My like family does whatever, you know what I mean? And I'll sit there in the kitchen and just kind of like do this thing. and I'm like, okay, it's a 20% of this or it's 30% of that. And then I'll put another, I don't know, another 50% of Ethiopia inside of it. But but blending after it's brewed, yeah. you actually get a ta- taste. And then you that it various different ones. I thought that I had to actually like mix the beans and then grind them together and brew them together. Right. No, no, right.
1: No, no. Huh. Okay. And well, you, that's a good tip. So we've been... We've been doing the single origin because our mm-hmm. our blends have not yielded the best results. They're not; think. they're
2: horribly hard to get. Yeah. And I and I tried that in the beginning, and it was just like, ugh, I ruined it. And now I've got all these beans I got to pick out, or else I got to you know. And then I I literally stumbled upon it after I actually did. it. I was like, well, I've got some of this left or some of that left. I'll just brew two, and then we'll just mix them together. Oh,
1: okay, I'm gonna try that. So that sounds, so blend after yeah. your brew yeah. and to
2: get the final result, and then you can kind of go from there.
1: Huh. Anyway, all right, good tip. No, that's a that's a, that's a. What uh, roaster
2: idea. do you ha- you guys have? Is I have a
1: hot pot roaster. Okay, you heard of that one? I have not. It does no. a, it does um, 250 grams of beans at oh, a time. Wow. Okay, And so you can you can roast it manually or you can program in different roasts. So I'm shooting for like a full city kind of yeah, a I love roast. Yeah, full city. Yeah. And. Um, so, yeah, we, uh, Ben, my 12-year-old, we just went through and d- developed a little uh, logo. We've got the pig roast, the Tumlinwood Farms pig roast. So I if like you're, you're looking for some pig roast. Awesome. So let's
2: when we come when, we, when I come to the office, I'll bring some beans with yeah, okay. me. Okay, awesome.
1: Oh, and,
0: love that. Uh, yeah. I love I won't.
1: Yeah, you won't. Are you not I a coffee won't. drinker? No,
0: it's, it's horrible.
1: It's <laughs> How so do you, you can't live in the Pacific. That's what I hear
0: every day of my life.
2: So that was in the episode, well, like well, one of the first episodes. One of the episodes episodes, episodes, uh, we when I, when we
0: first episodes, when I first moved over to the Seattle side from the Spokane side, uh, I was told you need to like coffee or teriyaki. <laughs> or, or coffee and teriyaki, because yeah, that's right, on every been, corner. Right. And a lot of times they're in the same place. I chose teriyaki. Coffee can anywhere somewhere li- else. his response was, can I have one? Can I, can I just like one
2: of those things? Right. Can I like one of those
0: things?
1: Well, are you yeah. sure you've tried coffee? In the <laughs> that's exactly what I told yeah.
3: him. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I've
2: tried coffee. <laughs> so I would bring him like
3: everybody, in. Everybody,
2: I would bring in the mornings. And be like, look, this is a Kona brew. Yeah,
3: he's you doing know? his best.
0: He's doing his best to try to break the mule. I am. Uh, I do the same thing. So I'm a whiskey lover, uh, and everybody says oh, I don't like whiskey, and I'm adamant that they don't like. And a we're adamant that you like right. coffee, and <laughs> I'll get there. And I'm <laughs> sure that there will be All the right. one because I think right. I hell. think every palate. And I I had a conversation. Sounds uh, like we got to go to the farm, too, and and the virtual studio. But I think every palate (laughs) breaks into something in a certain way. I don't think we're we're not born to like beer and we're not born to like whiskey and we're not born to like coffee. I think you start it and you start it when you're young and you have a bunch of sugar and deliciousness in it. I don't know. I and then you it. sort of
1: end up... I forgot, maybe, because I just th- love coffee. Yeah, because I think you know. <laughs> don't...
0: Nobody. I don't think you really start with this big, bitter punch in the mouth.
1: No, I think you're on to something. <clears throat> when Nicole started drinking coffee, she had to put... Like six lumps of sugar in it. Yeah, sure. To drink it. And now, you know, we never put sugar in our coffee anymore. But right. no, cause uh, I think you grow out of it. You yeah, start you, with, you, you when start you have a beer, understanding you start the, with the garbage piss water beer. Yeah. Right. It's just and then Bud Light, now you you're into like,
0: oh, I like the hoppy. I like this really bit, oh, IPA bitter citrus, or IPA. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh-huh. and I think with, with whiskey, you start with something simple. And then now I drink jet fuel, basically. <laughs> so I think it's a, it's a poly- uh, palatal thing, and I'll get there. Um, right. it's, it's just funny cuz he's so into it and it's it's so great to see you guys and for nerd out a, on there. For
2: him it's a temperature thing too.
0: Also temperature. I don't oh. I don't like hot. Oh, okay. So so, I, so a... that for that it was, you know, cuz when you everybody goes camping they're like I just need hot. I don't yeah, care if it's coffee right. or whatever. For me, no bueno on the hot. Huh.
1: Not interesting.
2: for me. Es no for me. <laughs> well, Jamie, thank you so much for yeah, joining us today. Huge yeah. thank you. This has you. been a wildly long and awesome so episode. Good. It so really good. really has. Uh, my favorite uh, of the
0: one we recorded today absolutely. for sure <laughs> No, absolutely <laughs> incredible <laughs> episode thank you so much can't wait to to, to come and, and explore this even further because there's awesome. so much more to learn uh yeah
2: man yeah no we sincerely appreciate it oh um, thanks for having me is there yeah. any place that they actually can reach out to you obviously uh, studio 216com yeah. yeah any What's other um,
1: linkedin jamie, pages? Or? yeah find me on linkedin i think it's just jamie fleming um, well, you'll find me. Look for. We'll put it up on there. We'll put all the, up the yeah, we'll make sure up, it's right. Yeah, put up some of the links and hey
2: guys, make sure you share this with your colleague. Make sure you actually like with that frontline worker or with that uh, informational worker that you know with where your world sits. Yeah, such a cool place to actually see that next frontier where we're going. So
0: also, I've decided that. Uh, I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna start a Daft Punk cover band. Okay, it's gonna be called Digital Twin.
2: Digital Twin, I <laughs> like. Digital Twin, yeah. <laughs> Boom, done. <laughs> well, let's take them to so that music and bring us out. So, thanks for joining edifystudios.com today, the Edify Studios show. Please share this on iTunes. Um, Make sure you actually listen along. And thanks so much for joining us today. We'll catch you next time. Peace.
1: Thanks for listening to the Edify Studios podcast with hosts Brad Glauser and Brad Walker. To learn more about Edify Studios, visit www.edify-studios.com. That's www.edify-studios.com.